Hello, everybody, and welcome back to a awesome new podcast, which, uh, frankly, just kind of happened out of the blue. Um, we have a very cool guest with us all the way from the United Kingdom, and is the, I want to say, founder of the studio here that he is from, that you guys may or may not have heard about his fan-made film called Silent Hill Requiem that was put out on a crowdfunding uh, about almost three years ago. It was February of 2014, but uh, anywho, let's get right into it. So my name is Paul Dolsky, as always, and I am here with my lovely, now new fiance, Tessa Baker. Yeah, that's right. We're engaged now. There's the news breaking right there. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And we are joined with our very special guest, Gareth. Hello. Hello. I'm, I'm Gareth Morgan of Zenith Films. I'm very pleased to be here. Yes, yeah, thank you, Gareth, for joining us. Um, I know it was kind of like a, like, oh, shit, like his film just came out for this, finally, after almost three years of waiting. And waiting for you, working for me. Exactly. And, um, yeah, and then we finally got to watch your masterpiece last night that you've been working on. I, I call it masterpiece because I thought it was really well done. And Thank you. You're very welcome. And uh, we'll definitely have to discuss some of the things because I think the film might have already answered them, but it would be nice to actually hear it from you, too. But, okay, I want to try and keep some spoilers to a minimum now, if that's alright with you. No, that is. I uh, tried to keep everything, I definitely tried to keep everything spoiler free, so. Yeah, that's cool. It's just I kept a lot of this movie, you know, close to the chest. Yes, you did. So that, so, so that when you saw it, you're like, oh, that's in it, oh, that's in it, oh, that's in no, it. No, yeah, don't yeah. worry about that. Don't worry about that. I made sure, like, there wasn't any spoilers, because if anything, we'll be talking about requiem a little bit because i'd like to have like like not only ourselves here but for people listening to kind of have a better understanding of your uh zenith film studio and a little bit more about you if that's possible so gareth yeah that's that's fine yeah yeah so gareth um i'll let you take over for a minute if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself a little bit about yourself and where uh zenith films came to be Okay, right. Well, um, I've uh, I've been working in the creative field pretty much all my life. You know, from when I was a little boy, I was drawing, which moved into writing. That took me into um, acting, which I did for, for for quite a few years, and then that took me into dancing. And I um I ended up running a dance company for about five years, physical theatre and dance, and um, that is what kind of got me into working with film. Because we were doing a lot of live performances, but when we couldn't get a venue, we would uh, make dance for camera instead. And that's where I started to kind of cut my teeth with using a camera and like trying to edit. But these were back; these were back in the days when I didn't have a computer that could do it. So we would actually get two VCRs and link them together, and then play on one VCR and record on the other. And that was how I was editing the films together. Very, uh, very medieval. And. Um, yeah, I remember then, doing that with Nintendo 64. I used to record, like, my old, like, WWF No Mercy Nintendo stuff, and I'd be like, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> that was the good old days. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. 
and um and then uh the dance company uh ended up ending and um i went traveling for a couple of years and uh while i was traveling i ended up writing my first book uh which is a, a sign a kind of a fantasy science fiction speculative fiction about the last days of atlantis which is currently I still need to just go through it, you know, check the grammar, the spelling, the punctuation, then I'm going to probably self-publish that soon. <clears throat> but then I ended up coming back and decided I should probably get a degree in something so people took me a bit more seriously. And I went to a, uh, a university where I could do a split degree. I did half dance, half film, because, you know, I had interest in dance and I also had interest in film and what happened was my interest in dance kind of waned and my interest in film got more and more and um, I ended up coming out of that uh, university degree with a first class honours degree because of the film side. So I figured well might as well give film a go. I had built up some contacts in the city that I was in and so I started Zenith Films. The reason it's called Zenith Films is because my dance company was called Zenith Dance so I just thought yeah you know we'll just keep rolling with with that trademark shall we say <clears throat> and um and yeah then i just i just started working as a filmmaker and um got freelance work here and there and while i was doing that i was working on my own projects because at uni i got a love for using green screen because it allowed me to you know make films set almost anywhere without having to worry about budget <clears throat> and um because the the film uh, staff really liked me they let me come in and use the facilities if it was available and so I ended up making quite a few short films over over like a couple of couple of years and um, one of them was called Episode and it was loosely based on the video game Deadly Premonition which is obviously loosely based on Twin Peaks and I made a little short film about this FBI guy trapped in a hotel being attacked by ghosts, but then there's a twist at the end. And I, um, I submitted it to Raindance, which was the biggest kind of, which is the biggest film festival in Europe currently. I didn't expect it to get in, but it got in. Wow. Yeah, so, so I was like, oh, okay, maybe what I'm doing, I'm kind of going in the right direction here if I'm getting into places like this. And um, so well, once I got in, we decided that I'm going to film some more to episode because I was thinking maybe I could make it into an episodic series or film more to make the short film into a full feature. And uh, so while I was doing that, I had joined a Facebook group uh, about Silent Hill called Silent Hill Heaven. And because um, Silent Hill was a big love of mine, I played all the games back in the day, you know, and... Um, there was, I wanted to kind of understand what it was. I mean, I had my own understanding, but I wanted to know what other people's understanding of what it was that made Silent Hill scary. What is it about the atmosphere, the way it, the way it works, especially considering that it's an interactive medium, and that's what interests me a lot about horror games, is that with a horror film, you're just along for the ride, and you know it, it lifts you up, puts you down, scares you when it has to scare you, etc., etc. But whereas with a video game, you're the one in control, yeah, it can still terrify you. And um, that was what I wanted to try and understand. What, what is this? How does this work? I mean, I'd actually done, uh, for one of my performance pieces at uni, that on my final year, I actually did a live dance horror piece where I tried to use the medium of dance in a live setting to scare people. And um, so I'd done a lot of research in that as well. And, and um, so 
talking with these guys, I saw that one of them put up a post for another Silent Hill short film. Um, God, the name's going to escape me now. He's going to hate me. Um, it's Brett Driver's Silent Hill short film. I think it's called The Lost Days. Okay. I think it's called Silent Hill The Lost Days. It's only a short film. It's on YouTube. And he was crowdfunding it. And uh, he, he, only, he was trying to raise, I think, $3,000. And he'd already raised, like, two and a half. So I was like, oh, so there is interest in, like, so I thought to myself, well, there is interest in Silent Hill as a film base, you know, because after, well, especially after the last Hollywood movie, I didn't think anyone would be interested in watching Silent Hill as a film again. And um, so I followed him for a bit, and I was just like, well, maybe it's, I wasn't planning on crowdfunding anything. I just thought to myself, well, I've had this Silent Hill idea for years. I've never done anything with it because I didn't think level in my my skill set to be able to do it to adjust it. And so <clears throat> seeing that he was having some success, I was like, well, maybe that's what I'll do. Is um, you know, I'll put episode on hold for a, for a couple of months, and we'll film just a little short, just a two minute short of of Heather on a train, on the subway train, because the reason why I picked the subway train is that the subway train is what first inspired the idea of making a film. When I played Silent Hill 3 back in the day, that that one little scene of her on the train really, really stuck with me, not because of what was happening on the train, but the way they had created the illusion of you being on a train. You know, because obviously the train isn't moving, it's the backgrounds that are moving. But that tricks your eye into thinking that you're moving forward. Right. And, um, and yeah, it was that. It was like, I really loved that idea, you know, how that illusion worked. I mean, it worked for me. It must work for it. And I thought that's a, that's a kind of illusion that I could create using green screen. So, um, so yeah, so I decided that I was going to take a two, the, the two minutes from my big idea and I was going to use the train section because I figured that would be the easiest thing to do, you know, kind of quickly. And so I approached Olwyn. Uh, who plays Cheryl in Silent Hill Requiem, but she wasn't available. She was, uh, as well as working for me, she also runs her own performance company. And um, at the time, she was working on some big projects, so she just didn't have any free time to give. And so, thankfully, <clears throat> my other actress friend, Della Day, had recently moved back to Leicester because she was looking to get a full-time drama teaching job at one of the local schools. And so I asked her, you know, you ain't got a couple of hours spare Wednesday evening to help me film this. <clears throat> and she was like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. And so we did. We spent a couple of hours and we filmed all, all the original proof of concept was, well, sorry, it wasn't even a proof of concept. It was just a short film. And all it was was Heather wakes up on the train. She's attacked by a nurse. She goes through the other car. She sees James. He shoots himself. She hears over the Tanai, the next stop, Silent Hill. Door opens behind her. She turns round. There's Robbie. His head does the whole Jacob's Ladder thing. She turns around and shoots. Credits. That was it. That was all it was. And yeah, so um, as you can see, that section is still in the film. <clears throat> but um, well, that's all it was. And um, so I'd already mentioned to people in this that Silent Hill Heaven fan group but I was thinking about making a short Silent Hill film and I'd like to get their feedback on some of the skills I'll put up. So um, I hadn't decided on the on the uh, art style yet. You know, I knew I was obviously filming on green screen, but in terms of like, the colours and all that sort of stuff, I hadn't really decided on what they were going to be. A lot of the time the work informs me of what colour it wants to be. 
And um, <clears throat> so after filming with Della, I just took a really simple shot that didn't require a great deal of backgrounds to be worried about. Because again, I was just trying to work out more about the color style. And it's the shot where she looks over her shoulder at the camera, but she's actually looking at the nurse on the train. So I took that shot and I just played around with it for a couple of hours, you know, trying different color presets and different settings. And then I ended up on the color that I, that the Requiem is now. And then I took that still, slapped it on the Facebook group, you know, Silent Hill Heaven, and said, guys, what do you think? And within an hour, that picture had gone viral. I was getting messages from people from all over the world. What is this? Is this a new film? Is this a new game? When's it coming out? How long is it? And, uh, and like my Facebook group at the time had like 250 likes. That shot up to over a thousand in under an hour. Very nice. Yeah, and I was just like, okay. I mean, I was I was hoping for a response, but I wasn't expecting it to be this quick. And um, so then I ended up getting friendly with admins for certain Silent Hill fan pages, namely uh, the Silent Hill Historical Society, which is the biggest uh, yep. fan page on Facebook. Yep. Um, Silent Hill Paradise, which I would assume is kind of the second biggest one. And when he was around, Silent Nerd. And in having conversation with these guys, they were like, well, why don't you try crowdfunding this idea? I mean, you've obviously got, you know, all the workings here for this feature film idea. Why don't you use this little short that you've made as a, as a tool for crowdfunding? And I'll be honest with you, I wasn't really up for the idea. Um, I'd already tried crowdfunding twice before for two of my own personal projects, and both times they had failed. So I was like, no one's going to crowdsource me. No one knows who I am from Adam. I'm just some small little filmmaker in middle England that no one's ever heard of. Why would anyone give me their money? But they convinced me otherwise. I was like, all right. But then I thought to myself, well, this two minutes isn't going to be enough because at the end of this two minutes, James shoots himself. You know, and James is like a big main character. I mean, the whole point was that isn't actually James. That's an hallucination in the train to kind of, you know, throw Heather off. But you're not going to get that from watching this two minutes. Right. And so I asked Della for one more evening of her life. Would you, would she be all right helping me film one more scene and then a collection of shots that could be seen as elements of the final film? You know, like her you know, crawling down an air vent or her trying to open a locked door or her barring something to death off camera and things like that. Right. And she was like, yeah, I can give you one more night. And um, and so that's what we did. So we filmed another scene. And the scene in question was I took the scene where James finds Maria again after she was stabbed in the hallway by Pyramid Head. I flipped the roles. So rather than Maria being in in the cell, it was James that was in the cell. And then Heather finds James. And she's like, James, you're alive. I saw you kill yourself. And he's like, what are you talking about? And then, of course, he goes into that big speech about sticking to the same formula, which is, again, that scene is in Requiem, but obviously done differently. And I think that's why uh, I like it a lot, is just because the way you portrayed those type of things, like the nightmarish uh, illusions or delusions, depending on how you want to look at it. But... That is technically, in a way, Silent Hill atmosphere because most of the time, like, well, you've seen the, the movies too, like when um, 
he would in the first film when uh, he was looking for his wife, and he could smell his, uh, his wife perfume in the hallway, but even though he couldn't see her, she was still in that same area in but in Silent Hill, and but of course. Um, that guy that was with him was like, hey, we need to get you out of here because you're starting to lose it because probably the dust and the, uh, the mold and whatever from the fire is, like, starting to really get to you. So I think you kind of, I, I shouldn't say you kind of, but you did. You definitely kept like that, like, okay, well, maybe this guy's going crazy. Maybe not because people around him may think he's crazy, but... He's really not trying to be crazy, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, like, I wanted to play with that whole idea of, um, <clears throat> you know, are crazy people crazy or is it they see something that we don't, you know, are we the ones that are insane and not the people that are insane? You know, that kind of idea. And um, so, yeah, so I did that, that scene and then we filmed a load of other bits and then I whacked it up on February 2014 with a crowdfunder to raise three grand. I didn't expect to raise $100, um, but within seven days, we already raised $3,000, and then, of course, I kept the campaign running. Uh, for the 45 days it was up, we ended up raising five, and then the last three years I've spent putting that film together. Which, which I just want to clarify, it was all you, everything. Uh, yeah, I, I wrote it, I storyboarded it, I directed it, I obviously played James Sunderland in it as well. I edited it, and I did all the special effects for it. The only thing I didn't do was make any of the music. The music was donated to me from some amazingly talented musicians from the Silent Hill community. With that soundtrack, is it's just gorgeous. Like, I'm just listening to the music while we're watching, and I'm just like... Just, just reminds me of Silent Hill, like something that yeah. Silent Hill would definitely do. And I'm never good at names, but the guy that originally does the soundtrack for Silent Hill, I mean, that guy... Um, Akira Yamamoto, oh, I can never pronounce his last name, Akira Yamamoto. Yes, <clears throat> him. Like, that guy, I mean, he makes a lot of good stuff, but when it comes to Silent Hill, I mean, I don't know what to say to that. Um, I remember uh, a few years ago... Back when Amazon still had it, I don't know if they, if they still do or if you have to get it from a third party. But I actually bought all the original Silent Hill soundtrack uh, box set, which was of course like a hundred and something dollars. But yeah, just to I have know, that. I know what you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, but just to have that is just it's, it's great because that's the Silent Hill I remember and love too because. Um, I started off with Silent Hill 2, the game, and then I played, uh, everything else. The only funny thing was, I didn't play Silent Hill 3 until it was, uh, converted over to the PS3, which we wanted. Okay. So, yeah, um, don't ask me why it took that long, but the, the one part I will say that I love about Silent Hill 3 is when you're in the abandoned hospital, if I remember correctly, and then you hear that phone ringing in a locker, and then when you, uh, Sarah answers, or Sarah, yeah? Heather. Heather, yeah. Um, when Heather answers it, and then the guy on the phone just starts singing happy birthday, it's just like that 
is so creepy because it's a it shouldn't even be in a why is it a phone in a locker to begin with, and how the hell is it ringing? But I, yeah, I, I know. I, mean, I think that the the reason why it's a locker is kind of a throwback to uh, the locker bit in Silent Hill One, where um, I believe Harry. I can't remember if he's actually in the school or the hospital now, but there's a, a locker rattle and he opens it and it's a bloody cat jump scare. Ah, uh, yes. <clears throat> yeah, so I think it may be a nod back to that. It very well could be. It, um, but yeah, so, uh, Gareth, which, so you kind of answered this question already, but which, you said that you played all the Silent Hill games. Um, now, did you ever get a chance to play PT? Uh, no, I don't, I don't have a, uh, PS4, PS4 unfortunately, but I have, I've watched it very exclusively because you may notice there's a particular scene in Sign of Requiem that is basically a nod to PT. Which one, can you say which one that is, or is that? It's where, it's where James wakes up in the hospital. Oh, okay, okay. I like that, cause um I was starting to cause that was gonna be something I wanted to uh, ask you too is um because P because PT has not only inspired so many game studios now, but for your sake since since you're really good at making these fan made fa uh, films and I mean I've been getting all your updates and stuff for the past three years for Requiem, so. And all the stuff I've ever seen from you sharing with us and stuff, I just found, like, you are definitely getting the atmosphere right, which is definitely a good nod because since PT, um, what do I want to say, gave us hopes for the franchise to come back, but then Konami completely destroyed the fact of having another Silent Hill game, even if we even probably never have one. But I wanted to ask, did you have you ever thought of possibly making your very own version of PT? Like kind of like Silent Hill Requiem? Um <clears throat> probably not, because that's kind of why I kind of did the the kind of like O2 in, in Requiem itself. Cause um first person filmmaking is is difficult because it has to be so precise and well, let, well, let's um, with, say it with wasn't that scene in requiem wake up in the hospital and he kind of makes his way uh down the corridor and such finding flashlights and pipes and stuff that took uh, that probably took longer to film than just film someone doing it normally well, and um yeah and then it's it's not and then on top of all that Again, I mean, I'm kind of breaking the fourth wall here, but um, when it comes down to seeing someone walk down the corridor, they're walking down the corridor. But when you're doing it through first person, corridor that's moving towards you, but you know, but you're given that sense of that you're walking down the corridor. And again, the the, the amount of like um, graphical effort that has to go into that, I don't think I'd be. You know, sort of like, you know, that film that came out recently, I think it was called Hardcore Henry, where it was all done through first person, but it was shot in reality. That, I think, is probably easier than doing an entire first person perspective film on green screen, because everything is reliant on 
the post-production. Right. Whereas, whereas obviously, if you're filming it in real life, then, you know, a lot of the jobs have been done for you. It's just then you have to be clever with how you use the camera. So, um, so no, I probably wouldn't do a film version of PT in the sense that I tried to get a, a decent nod to PT by having that section in Requiem instead. Which I believe, well, to what you did, because I'm looking at that scene like, why did this look kind of familiar in a way? Like, I should know this. And right, even the opening shot where James opens his eyes and he sees the door, that is exactly the same opening yep. shot you get when you start PT. Exactly. So that's why I was just curious about that. And um, But what what if, Gareth, you, you, if you did make a PT, what if you didn't put it in first person? I mean, technically, you don't have to do it in first person, but I see what you're saying that too. The thing with me is that if I'm going to make a film based on something else, I want that to be as close to what that thing was prior to it. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. prior to it crossing the medium. Because like, what I tried to do with Requiem was I I wanted you to feel like you were either watching the game or that you were watching a cutscene from the game. Uh, a few people have got in contact with me saying that after they watched that 30 minutes, they felt like they needed to reach for the controller because they felt like it was their turn to start playing. <laughs> you know, they really, really made them remember what it was like to be playing Silent Hill 2, 3, or 4. That, and that's I was like, well, good. that's perfect because that's pretty much, that was one of my goals was to make this project sit neatly with with the other games in the franchise. You know, not written more 1 through 4 than 5 through 8. I mean, there are certain nods in Requiem 2, 5 through 8, but <clears throat> the main aesthetic was always taken from 1 through 4, and the main sort of like influence of the entire film was Silent Hill 2. Okay, yep, I could definitely see Silent Hill 2 a lot, and um, I also started to recognize maybe like Homecoming and Silent Hill 3, and a little bit of yeah. the first one. Yeah, there's a there's there's a lot more like one, two, three, and four. I mean, there's a couple of nods to um, to homecoming, to downpour, uh, to origins, and obviously there's a big nod to shattered memories. That I'm not going to say what that is because that's a bit of a spoiler. Yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, but and then like I said, there's, there's a nod to PT in there as well. I think the only game I could work out how to give a decent nod to was the Silent Hill arcade game. Because that game is basically an on-rails shooter, kind of House of the Dead type game. And, oh, um, is that why yeah. you used that game footage or something? Um, I think. Oh, no, the, the, the game footage, that's actually from um, uh, Soundless Mountain 2, okay. which, is a, which is a D-make of Silent Hill 2. Okay. I actually contacted the guy that made that game and said if I could use the footage, and he agreed. That's why that footage appears. Ah, okay. In the film. Yeah. But otherwise, for arcade, yeah, I don't know how you would do that. Because it's not like you guys run into an arcade room or something. Because otherwise, that would be the only way you could possibly pull it off. But, I don't know. Maybe you could have done it somewhere else. But, I kind of agree with you with arcade, though. Um. So, I think you already answered this too, Gareth, but... Feel free to answer if you would like. But did you <laughs> did you teach yourself or go to school for filming? Um, kind of a bit of both. Um, I first started playing around with film, as I said, when I was running the dance company. I didn't really have any 
any you know prior knowledge other than when we were kids um my one of my brother's friends had a camera and we would because we live in the countryside we would often just go and make stupid films you know but we, we'd film them in order because obviously we didn't know how to edit so every you know she'd film it as the film is going to be presented so to speak and so i had a little bit of you know playing around with terms of like ideas of cinematography and stuff like that but in terms of editing and you know green screen footage and special effects that was basically self-taught by from pretty much from one website which is um hold on, i really need to cough just give me a second <laughs> <coughs> sorry about that no it's um, there's a uh, there's a website called videocopilot.net and it's run by a guy called andrew kramer and this guy is is a, is a bloody genius when it comes to after effects and he puts up to he doesn't pop as many now because the guy is incredibly busy which um you know which is understandable um, but he put up loads of tutorials on how to do certain things in after effects and um when I started to get into green screen, which would have been in my second year of uni, I started to, um, I was actually directed to his page by someone else, a friend of mine that had helped me out with some special effects in the past. I was like, how do you know this? He goes, oh, well, I, well, you know, it's just playing around and some stuff I get from this guy. So I started following this guy and I ended up doing the same thing. He would, he has about like nearly 200 tutorials on his website currently. Wow. And and some of them are very basic and some of them are super advanced. And he also delves a little bit into 3D modeling as well. And um, so I just started to follow this guy religiously and all and I and I would some I would watch his tutorials even if I didn't think the end result of this tutorial was what I was after, but there may be a couple of steps to this that I could actually use for something else. Exactly. That happened a few. That happened a few times actually. Well, that's good. That's very and, good. Um, yeah, so so, um, I got some training obviously at De Montford University, which is where I studied. But what I got more was that gave me time, and that time I used in learning what I needed to know to get what I wanted to get in the films that I was making, and um, and that's how I ended up working in green screen a lot that's how I ended up working with really kind of saturated art styles because um, one of the reasons I use the art style is A, because I'm massively into noir and uh, I always have been. I just love the noir aesthetic and you can see that in record. You can see that in pretty much everything I've made. And um, <clears throat> it also allows you to hide errors if there are errors, you know, because again, I'm not filming in professional studios. I'm filming in hodgepodge studios with with basic lighting. So sometimes the key might not be brilliant. So I need to sometimes maybe hide that with a shadow or something. So having a saturated art style really helps. And um, another another reason to use the art style is it helps blend the actors with the backgrounds. Now there's something that you'll probably see a lot more in TV than movie, but you can always spot a bad green screen shot. You know, it just it's just glaring at you in your face. You, your, your subconscious mind's like, nope, there's something wrong here. <laughs> and then your conscious mind is like, yeah, that looks really dodgy. You know, and you can see that the actors are slapped onto a background. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and you get that more so in TV than film. Sometimes you do get it in film, especially in films that have got multi-million dollar budgets and their green screen shots are terrible. This is yep. like seriously, and um, but 
The reason for that, I believe, is that when you've got millions of dollars, you can match your backgrounds to your actors. You can make your backgrounds very believable, very realistic, you know, because you've got hundreds of people working on it. You've got all of the software, all of the machines you need to render this stuff out. That's fine. But when it comes to TV, they don't have that same resource. But they still try to match their backgrounds to their actors. But because their backgrounds aren't, well, shall we say, for lack of a better phrase, real enough, and the actors are real, you see the disconnect. Now, you might not see it straight away, but your subconscious will see it straight away, and then it will start to slowly pull you out of what you're watching because then you do the realisation dawns on you, oh, this is a green screen shot. And now you're not watching the story, you're watching how it was made, and they've lost you because you're not engaged in the story anymore. You're right. too busy looking at how it was put together. You've become a media study student rather than a rather than an audience member. So what I try to do is I try to match my actors with my background. So that way, if the actors blend into the background, your subconscious just goes, oh yeah, they just stood in the doorway, in a hallway. And they don't, though you'll, you still know deep down it's green screen, but it's so, it's not so glaringly fake that you get more absorbed in the story and you stop questioning your your suspension of disbelief kicks in and you just start following the story and that's another reason why I choose to use you know desaturated you know closing on black and white kind of art styles now I know that that's not for everyone I've had some people very very fiercely tell me how shit my films look because they don't like that kind of art style and I was like that's fine you don't like it I don't care I like it. Exactly. So, um, you know, and so, and then obviously you get those people that do really like it or aren't, aren't used to it or go, oh my God, this is like Sin City. And it's like, yes, it is like Sin City. It follows the same ideas. <laughs> you know, Sin City wasn't the first one to do it though. But yeah, if you want to call it Sin City, I'm not going to stop you. You know, and right. um, so yeah, so that's, that's the reason why I kind of make the films the way I make them. Well, that's think very that understandable. Um, Gareth, what other types of projects are you currently wanting to create? Um, right, well, now that Requiem is finally done, obviously I'm crowdsourcing to look into making a sequel project to that. Um, in between that happening, I'm now currently working on a five-part web series based on the Splatterhouse game. I'm not um, sure if you, if you know wow. the Splatterhouse game. I do. It was an arcade game back in 88. Then there was a couple of sequels on the Sega Mega Drive or Sega Genesis for you over there. And then there was a reboot, yep. I think it was 2010, on the PS3 and Xbox yep. 360. Yep. And um, so, yeah, you know, Splatterhouse is basically, you know, your girlfriend gets captured by monsters, you get killed, but then the terror mask comes to you and you put it on. You basically turn into Jason Voorhees and then you just beat the shit out of all the monsters in your way as you're trying to save your girlfriend. But of course, by the time you get to your girlfriend, she's been possessed, so you have to kill her too. And um, then you go down into the void and kick the crap out of the big bad, and you walk out of the mansion, and the mask leaves you. And that's where Silent Hill... Uh, sorry, Silent Hill. That's where Splatterhouse 1 ends, and then Splatterhouse 2 picks up three months later, and Rick comes back to the house to save Jennifer from the void. Now, my web series, uh, Splatterhouse Jennifer Smells of Rock, sits in between Splatterhouse 1 and Splatterhouse 2. 
So the way I've kind of spun it is Rick gets out of the mansion, the mask leaves him, so he goes running into the into the town. There's monsters in the mansion up the road. They've killed my girlfriend. I had this mask. It made me really strong. So they arrest him, throw him in the bloody asylum and, and accuse him of murdering his girlfriend. At the same time, Jennifer's soul is trapped in the void. So the mask goes down to Jennifer and says to her, well, your boyfriend failed to save you, but I wonder... Can you save yourself? And offers itself to her. She puts the mask on, fights her way out of the void, and then some shit goes down at the end, which then links it into Splatterhouse 2. Hmm. I like it. This yeah. already yes. sounds good. It does sound very good. Yeah, so there's already a official trailer on my YouTube channel. Uh, it's about two minutes long, and it kind of details... That the whole the film is going to be done in a very sort of 80s, um, what do you call it? What are those horror movies called? Ugh. Damn, I knew it. The name always escapes me. Not Grindhouse. Video Nasty. It's done more in the style of a Video Nasty. And um, the, if you watch the trailer, it's very like, like you've just pulled it off some dodgy VHS tape you found in the trash. <laughs> And um, the way the way it was going to, because originally I tried again. This was a crowdfunded project. We wanted to raise a certain amount of money, but we didn't. We only raised half. So rather than half it better not than doing, nothing, I guess. Well, yeah, exactly. So rather, it was going to be another feature film, but obviously we didn't, we didn't raise enough money. One, so instead, I've turned it into a five-part web series. And the the idea behind it is back in '89, after the first game came out a studio went ahead and made a TV show. and um, But because it was so dark and disturbing, no no, no uh, network would pick it up. So it just got abandoned and left on a shelf, you know, to gather dust. Oh, and then a couple, and then later, earlier on this year, it appeared on an eBay auction. Someone bought it and found all of these old VHSs, but they're in really bad nick, you know, really bad condition. And they've managed to pull off some footage... And then I've given it to me, and I've cut it together as this five-part mini-series. Hmm. Oh, I get it. And yeah, so that's what I'll be working on next. Then after that, the, the big project, the, the one I want to make, uh, the, the personal project I want to make, because obviously, though Silent Hill Requiem is a personal project, it's still based on someone else's IP. Right. You know, I'm still using someone else's characters, I'm still using someone else's universe. Though obviously my main goal is to make sure that it fit into their universe. The characters, the characters evolve. They didn't change, but of course, Requiem is supposed to be at least 15 years after the events of Silent Hill 4. So you know the characters are older. They're more maybe more bitter. They, they've probably got some PTSD to deal with because of the stuff that happened to them. You know, but still, the idea was that this sits... It, uh, r rather than, say, like they did with Silent Hill 1 and Silent Hill Revelations, where they they kind of made films for mass appeal rather than making films for the fans, I wanted my film to be for the fans, so it had to sit in in that world. Now, now, Gareth, since you mentioned the films, i got to ask you. Now, did you see... You, you saw Revelations, right? Yes, I've seen them both, yes. So, how, when you first saw Revelation, what, how did you take the whole idea of what they were doing with Revelation? And what I mean is, like, they were taking Silent Hill 3, 
but they were changing it, like, because, you know, that guy that um, Heather met, she, uh, he um, was part of that cult, and he was trying to help her. Like, that oh, whole you mean, idea. You mean Vin- turning Vincent into the love interest? Yes. What did you, what did you <laughs> think of that? I felt the revel- Revelations makes a really good music video. <laughs> <laughs> um, but as a film, uh, it's bad. It's, it's you know, even if you were to take the Silent Hill moniker off it and just call it whatever, it's still not a very good film. You know, it's not it's not put together with with a lot of care and attention. I mean, regardless to, you know, let's, let's ignore the fact that they're trying to make a film for fans. They're just trying to make a film and cash in on the Silent Hill name. Right. Fine. That's right. what big studios do. Yeah. But if you're going to do that, at least make a bloody good film at the same time. Agreed. And and Revelations is just not a good film. I mean, I made my film for five five grand. So yeah, my film is cheap. They spent thirty million on that film, and it still looks fucking cheap. You know, so it's like, what's the excuse? Why why did you even bother? If you weren't going to put the effort in, why put the effort in at all? Why why even bother? Whereas with Silent Hill One, though, yeah, it went off on a weird tangent halfway through the movie and basically stopped being Silent Hill and started to be this movie about witches and stuff, which we, is fine, you know, again, because they were going for mass appeal. At least the opening, say, 20 minutes of the first Silent Hill movie is a Silent Hill movie, you know, is really great, especially yeah. the fact they used the proper camera angles where she's running down the, down the alleyway like Harry does. You yep. know, it's just like spot on. But like I said, for me, they just suddenly went off on this weird tangent. It's like, well, what's this got to do with Silent Hill? Why are you burning Sybil? What, what's going on? You know, and... Um, well, that's so like yeah. when, when they're doing the whole witch thing. Like, why did they... Like, why is it they're all of a sudden now she she's being accused as a witch? Are we are we going back to, like, Salem now or something? Well, or yeah, like... that's what I mean. Why is Pyramid Head in it? You know, and not and then not and not not the actual pyramid head, but a pyramid head. But there's no explanation for why he's there. And then then they have that sloppy explanation in Revelations that he's now Alyssa's guardian. It's like, but well, why would Alyssa need a guardian? She's got the power of God. You know, and it's just like, ugh. <laughs> he supposedly pyramid head was in there because he would like the the keeper of the gate kind of thing. Like he would the. Uh, the garter, the guardian of the of the uh, the hell that was going on as uh, yeah, I know it just felt like a sloppy fan cry. Oh, uh, Silent Hill fans, we've got Pyramid Head. Come yeah, check us out. Yeah, you know, it yeah. Just, it just felt sloppy. I mean, granted, it's not the Pyramid Head. It's not Red Pyramid no, thing. It's no. a, it's another version of Pyramid Head, which is fine. I mean, a lot of people will always say you can't have Pyramid Head unless James is in it. And I'm like, all right, you can't have Pyramid Head as his role in Silent Hill 2 without James. Absolutely. But I think a lot of people forget the reason why Pyramid Head even exists is because James saw the painting in the Historical Society. Yeah. And you're telling me that he's the only person that's ever seen that painting that Silent Hill has attacked. You know, I think a lot of people don't don't uh, don't go, you know, they seem to think that the, the stories that have been told in Silent Hill through the games are the only stories that have ever happened in Silent Hill. And I don't agree. I mean, there was four stories going on in Silent Hill 2. Outside, you know, you've got James' story, you've got Angela's story, you've got Eddie's story, and you've got Laura's story. So, you know, Silent Hill goes after people all the time. 
you know, ears, judge, jury, and executioner. And there are bad people everywhere. So surely other people have been judged by Silent Hill at some point in time. And maybe one of those persons also happened to be in the historical society and see that painting and now pyramids coming after them, but maybe for a different reason. Exactly. So, but people don't understand that. Yeah, no, people just seem to think that Silent, that, sorry, that Pyramid Head was a manifestation from James's brain. It's like, no, it's a manifestation from his brain because he saw the painting. Yes. He didn't invent Pyramid Head. Pyramid Head already existed. So the, the better question is, well, what is the etymology of that painting? Agreed. Why did someone paint Pyramid Head? So surely if someone painted Pyramid Head, that means that someone's already seen Pyramid Head before? And why would they have seen him before, or her before, for that matter? You know, well, it doesn't have to be a male. You know, it could be a female in, in someone else's now nightmare see, world. Now, see, that's where it comes into debate. Because when I played Downhill 2 the first time, I thought Pyramid Head was like the nightmarish version of his dead wife. Right. So, I mean, and then there's other people that saying, oh, no, um... Pyramid Head is the, uh, pretty much his judgment creature. Like, he ju like Pyramid Head is here to execute James for what he's done. And yeah. that's why he takes away Maria, uh, yeah, Maria. Yeah, yeah. And, um, then that's why, like, James is left alone again. It's because it's pretty much saying, like, in a way, it's just like, we don't know... If we can trust you with another female by your side, because look what happened last time. You killed your wife, and... Yeah, smothered her with a pillow. Yeah, smothered her with a pillow, yeah. So, I think, in a way, Pyramid Head is trying to be like that whole guardian, but that nightmare guardian of a executioner, I guess. Would be my way. I mean, yeah. I do agree I with mean, you. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, it is. It is. It's, again, I think... I don't know, there, there's a lot of people that seem to think that that's like, you know, what I'm telling you about Silent Hill is correct and what you think is wrong. And there are some elements of Silent Hill that are absolutely set in stone that shouldn't be, shouldn't be interpreted or whatever. They are the way they are. But there's a lot of <coughs> ambiguity in Silent Hill as well as things that are, you know, carved in stone. And again, that's what draws me to the franchise is because of that ambiguity. And that's and the, the whole idea of etymology is obviously I don't want to go into that because it's spoiler territory. But there's a lot of etymology in the story of Silent Hill Requiem about Silent Hill itself. I believe I we caught on to that as well. I'm not sure because it was just like holy crap, like. There's so much information already to take in from your film, don't get me wrong, but it, it, but the way you're doing it at the same time with, like, here's James' story at first, and then here's uh, Heather's story, and it's just like, I actually like how he's breaking it, breaking it up right now before they actually um, meet, per se. Yeah, well, I kind of, there's, there's two reasons for that, because um, though... Obviously, this film is made by a fan for the fans primarily. I still wanted non-fans to be able to watch the film and to a, to a lesser degree follow along. You know, it's like, well, I've never played Silent Hill 1, 2, 3, or 4. Am I really going to know what's going on? 
And it's like, yeah, there is going to be there's enough information in the film to give you. Though it would probably you'd probably be better on your second watch than your first watch. But there is all the information that you need to know to understand what's going on in this story. You know, so that's kind of the reason why I did that kind of, you know, rather than start them all together, you know, here we are, Team Silent Hill, and off they go to do their thing. You know, I kind of broke it up, so it was... Do we get Team Silent Hill shirt, too? That's why I kind of broke it up. So you had this kind of, this set, so then nice recap for those people that may have forgotten certain things. And also a good way of helping non-Silent Hill fans, you know, understand more about what's going on. It's like my brother watched and he was like, I'll be honest, I was lost for the first half of the movie. But then the second half, I was like, oh, right, I know what's going on. I was like, yeah, but if you watch it again, you'll now know what's going on in the first half. So you'll have, you know, you'll have foreknowledge. Agreed. And, and so, you know, so that was kind of the idea of that. Nice. Um, after the success of Silent Hill Requiem, you are now funding a 12 EP web series for Silent Hill Lazarus. How is that coming along? Uh, Lazarus, yeah, Lazarus, um, sorry, I didn't get to talk about what I was, my, my big project, was I, yeah, sorry, just let me go back a step to that other question. Okay. The big, the big project I wanted to make is a, is a cyberpunk film called TLE. That's that's like that's the personal project that I want to make out of everything. Because like I said, obviously Requiem and Lazarus, Splatterhouse, they're all personal projects, but they, I don't own everything about it. Shall right, we say. right. Whereas whereas with Tlee, it's all mine. It's it's all this idea I've had. That I've been writing for many years, and that's the big project I want to do. Again, that's got that's got Olwyn in it. Uh, Olwyn is in pretty much everything. Olwyn uh, plays Cheryl in Silent Hill Requiem, and Olwyn is pretty much in everything I make now because I just think she's fantastic. And um, she's like one of the best actresses I've had the pleasure to work with. And that's good. Uh, that's good. Um, and um, so, yeah, so she's, she's in, she plays Jennifer in the Splatterhouse web series. Nice. That is coming next. Obviously, she's going to be in Silent Hill Lazarus as well. And she's going to be the lead in this 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 pet project. Um, basically, set in the year twenty one twenty three, the sea has risen to the point that all that's left is floating cities, and these have become countries with their own central government, etc. And um, in one of these cities called New Babel is a girl called Tlee, and um, she's the lowest of the low. There's a kind of a caste system in the city, and she's on the bottom rung. So she attempts to commit suicide, but in doing so, she ends up in a, in a red room with a girl that looks identical to her, offering her a job to go and assassinate some certain people in the city. Now, all these people turn out to be famous people or people of power and influence. So she kind of does it anyway, because the girl offered her a way out of the city if she does it. And then it gets more and more twisted as the story goes on. And that's where I'll leave you with that. So that's the big project I want to make. But yeah, moving back to Lazarus. So the idea with Lazarus is um, basically with, with Silent Hill Requiem, 
No, I, 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 di I didn't want to, how can I put this? I didn't want it to end, so to speak. Though obviously the story itself concludes. But like I was saying before, as far as I'm concerned, the story of Silent Hill never ends. No, Because Silent Hill will always be there, will always be ready to pass judgment on you if you do something it doesn't like. Uh, generally murder it seems to be is the one thing that Silent Hill really doesn't like but um, so, so the idea was I'm not going to conclude Requiem in the sense of oh Silent Hill is concluded that's it you know that's not that's not how I think Silent Hill is I think even though we, you know at the moment obviously Konami have have ceased kind of game development for business reasons which, which I'll have to admit I totally understand why they're doing what they're doing um i can't hate konami for what they did because i grew up with konami you know konami made some of the best games i played on the on the 16-bit consoles when i was a kid you know on the mega drive and the super nintendo you know and in the arcades konami made some of the some games that you know i still play to this day and obviously they made the silent franchise as well so you know yeah, they they kicked out Kojima and they canned PT. Um, but I kind of understand why they did that from a business perspective. You know, if you're constantly spending money hand over foot but not making a return, well, that's a bad business strategy. So you stop doing that. Now, Metal Gear Solid Five only recently broke even. I mean, they spent something like 40 billion yen on that game and they've only just made their money back and not and they've not made no profit, they've just made their money back. Now, that's bad as terms of a business strategy because you want to be doubling your money at the minimum. Right. So I can understand why they've pulled out AAA games making because, and I was talking about this with my brother the other day, video game costs haven't gone up with inflation you know when we were kids we were spending 40 40 45 quid on a game you know this was a cartridge for the mega drive or the snares whereas today you're still roughly spending that amount of money for a game on your ps4 or your xbox one x or whatever but the cost of making those games has you know it's gone up exponentially so I can understand why DLC and, and season passes and all these things exist is because what they should be doing is selling the games at 80, 90 quid a pop because that's how much they should be based on the idea of inflation, but they don't. And then they try to piecemeal it back by trying to make money on season passes and extra maps and DLC, which just pisses off the community. It's like, well, you might just piss them off straight away and go, right, the game's 80 quid. Like the microtransaction. Yeah, you know, I mean, they are taking a piss a little bit now, you know, but I can understand why they invented things like DLC and season passes, because games aren't, they, they're, they're not selling them for what they're worth. They're selling them at a loss, but they're still spending millions on making these games. And I can understand why Kai went, nope, fuck this, and they've just, they've just pulled out, and Konami have their finger in many pies. You know, in America, in Europe, all well, they was made games. But in Japan, they run gyms. They have their own bottled water. You know, they've got all these other infrastructures that they've got money and that are making them... Obviously, pachinko machines, 
they make a lot of money on gambling now that it's legal to gamble in Japan. You know, hence why we got the wonderful Silent Hill Pachinko machine. And, um, you know, and the fucking, what was the Castlevania Pachinko machine? And the, I think there was a Metal Gear Solid Pachinko machine as well. Because that makes money, and Konami's a business, and they need to make money to stay in business. Um, but it's shit that they've stopped making the games that we want. But I can't hate them for for making a business strategy that keeps them in business because they may be in five, ten years from now. They come back to making games. True. True. You know? But yeah, um, so going. So what was I talking about before I went off on a tangent about Konami? Lazarus, <laughs> wasn't it? Wow. Talking about Lazarus. Yeah. yeah. So like I said, so I didn't want to. I didn't want the idea of Requiem to be a conclusion to Silent Hill. So I had an idea that there would be a, like an after credit scene that would kind of give you an, an idea of oh, there's another story that's going to happen. But. I originally did that with, with not an intention to crowdfund it again. I was just going to leave it like that, and that was it. There you go. There's done. And then, of course, people said, well, why don't you crowdsource this one? And I was like, guys, I've made a feature film. Now it's just like, well, no, make more. I was like, all right. But I didn't want to make another feature film. I didn't want to spend another three years just um, in a box by myself working on something that I was then going to release in one go. So right. I thought, well, rather than do that, let's go down the series idea. Let's go down the web series idea, like a show kind of idea instead. And so there was a lot of... there were. I think uh, in the end there were like five different drafts for the Silent Hill Requiem script. Nice. And, um, and, and uh, I worked with a... Um, with a consultant, shall we say. She's uh, AJ. She, on YouTube, is known as The Gaming Muse. And okay. she runs a Silent Hill website called The Fourth Floor. And it's just full of... She's a psychology student, so it's just full of essays and, and writings. But she's really, really delved into what Silent Hill is. So I approached her because I thought, yeah, if, you know... Because I, like I said, I wanted my Silent Hill story to be as canon as it could possibly be to what had already been established. Right. So I figured working with someone like her, who knows probably as much, maybe even more than Team Silent does about their own franchise. I know she could give them a run for their money if there was a quiz. And um, so I approached her and said, would she help me with the script? You know, so I would write a bit of the script, I'd, I'd send it to her, and then we would discuss it on Hangouts, you know. To, and if I if I done something that she wasn't too sure about she'd ask me questions i explained why i thought that would work and she'd be like no you've completely missed the point or yeah i see where you're going with that but you might want to think of this that and the other and um so in doing this you know many drafts of the script were made and many ideas were dropped because because of this um so i thought that with lazarus i could bring back some of these ideas but because they are kind of singular ideas it kind of enforced the idea of, well, if I was to do it like a show, so each week, so it'd be 12 episodes, right? So very much like, say, uh, um, I'm going to pick one out of the hat, Smallville, let's say, where Smallville would have a running plot. Say it was, I think a, a season of Smallville was like 20 episodes. So 10 of those episodes would be plot relevant, and then 10 of those episodes would be Freak of the Week. 
So it would be a self-contained little story where Clark and that that blonde girl, I can't remember the name of, would fight another human that's been infected by kryptonite in some way. And then the next week would be a episode that's about the plot. And then the next week would be another freak of the week. So I was thinking that would work quite well for what I have for Lazarus. It would be 12 episodes, six of which would be plot relevant. So they would follow a constant story. And then six of them would be kind of something crazy happens in Silent Hill this week that James and Jessica have got to deal with. You know, and um, and then the other reason why I wanted to do a series is because there were points where I had 20, 30 minutes of Silent Requiem done, you know, done and finished. And I was like, I could release this 30 minutes. I mean, it wouldn't make any bloody sense because it would just end. <laughs> but, you know, I it would work as an episode. You know, and it would be something to give back to the people that donate. It's like, here's a chunk. But then it kind of, because it was a feature film, that wouldn't work. But as a series, that would. So, you know, it would take me, say, one to two months to make a single episode. So that means every two months, you're getting something straight away. Here's episode one. See you in two months. You know, and then... I could take feedback from that episode. So like the backers could be more involved in the actual production side as well as being the audience side. So they could like, you know, watch that first episode and then tell me what they thought, give me ideas, you know, places where they think maybe that storyline should go this way or all that way. You know, they could give me more feedback that may be able to then feed into episodes as I'm making them because it would be more fluid. Right. Yeah, and I mean, you don't really want your story to become like, like, where the hell is this going? Versus, wow, like, I can't wait for uh, n- next two months because I want to see what goes on here. I mean, would helping, would helping you, you, we could probably see something that you couldn't have seen before. So, with us helping. We could open like a doorway to help you be like, oh, well, because of you uh, mentioning this, I never thought of this, and I'll have to definitely figure out a way to make this work, especially in the world of Silent Hill. And we'll go back to like what we were talking about too, where with Pyramid Head, Pyramid Head can pretty much. In this case, Pyramid Head can go after anybody, or or anybody that has seen, like, some weird creature in their reality, we'll say, and then now in this nightmarish world of Silent Hill, that creepy thing that we've seen is now coming to get us. Yeah. So, I, I like how you're doing this, and I really think with you going, reaching out to us, the fans, uh, even though you are a fan, but since this is also your film studio, we're technically fans trying to help you. And I really think a lot of movies, like even even with big shots, they should actually reach out to the fan. But then again, it depends on the franchise. Look what happened with Alien Covenant, for example. <laughs> I don't even think I need to even say anything more with that. But, um... Yeah, poor old Ridley Scott. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. 
I can only imagine. I actually, you know, because uh, um, as well as Senate Films, I am actually a, I'm a, a part of a three-man group called Heinz Heroes on YouTube. We do gaming videos and stuff now and again, and we have a podcast of us just talking random crap. <laughs> and um, and we make memes and stuff. And I, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Liar Liar with Jim Carrey. Yeah. But um, I took a couple of pictures from that and re remade it into a Ridley Scott thing. And he's like, Ridley Scott is old. He should have been a game years ago, but he can't go home because he hates his wife. You know, which is obviously a line <laughs> out of Liar Liar. And, and it is. I just feel like Ridley Scott is like, you were amazing in your prime, but... Those days have passed. Okay, now let me ask you this. Have you seen Ridley Scott's film The Martian? Sorry? Sorry, Kyle. Have you seen Ridley Scott's film called The Martian? No. You should definitely check that out. No, no lie. That felt like a Ridley Scott film. Maybe he spent himself on that then. I still, I, I still think he made Alien, a new Alien movie, just to stop Neil Blomkamp making that Alien movie he wanted to make. See, that's been a theory too, and the other theory is now because of the fact that Ridley Scott has full control of the Alien franchise, or did I should say? I don't know what's going on now with the um, not so success of uh, Alien Covenant. Yeah, I, I don't think those other five films are coming out somehow. Yeah, but supposedly Ridley Scott has one more alien film left in him. But <laughs> the, the thing, though, is there was an article where he said, well, maybe I could make, like, another five more alien films. And everybody's just it's like, like, what? It's like, dude, you could barely make one. <laughs> well, not just... Well, see, here's, this is the thing. Everybody now thinks that Ridley Scott is taking alien into into uh, his own way of storytelling, which is not good. Anybody can kind of tell you Redwood Scott should stay away from storytelling and just concentrate more on directing and making the environments. Uh, oh, yeah, I mean, his cinematography is amazing. Yes, oh, yes. And one of the things, too, that has been brought up is People are starting to wonder if Ridley Scott is trying to turn Alien into, like, his religious story of humanity. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what he's doing. Sometimes I feel like there's, there's, there's some kind of bug or virus that attacks old directors. Because look what George Lucas did to Star Wars. And now Ridley Scott's doing it to Alien. Yep. And... You know, it's just like, you know, why are you determined to take a dump all over your legacy? You know, you know, because you haven't got many years left on this planet, probably, because you are an old man. You know, why, why try to go back and retcon things you've already made? Why not use this time to live a little? Or if you're so obsessed with making films, make something new. Make something brand fucking new. Make, you know, prove to all these up-and-comings that you're, the, you're still the man. But at the moment, you're just proving to all the up-and-comings that you're old. You know, and it's just, you know, do something new. Because that's what he always used to do. He never made sequels. He refused flat out to make sequels to his work when he was in his prime. And now yeah. all he's doing is making sequels. Yep. 
I don't know if that's just meaning he's hurting for money or what, but I just don't know. Cause it, didn't I hear something that his son is gonna be is now in films or something like that? No, I'm I, not sure. Not sure myself. I think I heard something, or I might be thinking of somebody or something else, but I'm pretty sure I heard something along the line of Ridley Scott's son is like gonna be starting to direct and stuff and trying to gonna supposedly take after his father. I know um, George A. Romero's son is gonna be making a sequel to his father's film, which. I won't lie, that sounds really, really good, and I'm drawing a brain fart right now of what hit the uh, title of the sequel to Night of the Living Dead is going to be by George Romero's son, but just the article alone of him, or of them describing the idea behind... No, that does sound, sound like a good idea, yeah. Yeah. I'd be, I'd be behind that, for sure. Because I guess his son is going to make, like, the origin of Night of the Living Dead. Pretty much, like, how the town got infected with the zombies to begin with. I think that's how he's going to be making his film. Okay. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. Some, I don't know about you, Gareth, but how do you feel about some origin stories? Like, do you want, like, like with Alien, for example, do we really want to know... No, I I have I do have a I suppose hate's a strong word, but I have a definite dislike for origin stories. I don't care where things come from because and I also don't see the point in making origin stories, especially if the character from the film prior to it is in it. Because well there goes all the drama. Because you know that guy or that girl is under no threat because they're in the next bloody film. <laughs> which you've already seen. So what's the point in, in, you know, tell the next story? You know, which is, again, why with Requiem, I decided to tell the next story. You know, a lot of people, when I started this project, say, oh, why don't you remake Silent Hill 2 into a film? Why don't you tell the story of Silent Hill 3 into a film? Technically. Say, well, why bother? The bloody games are like films. Just play the games. Well, you know, I'm... I want to know what comes next. Well, Gareth, I don't know if you've noticed. I'm sorry to interrupt you for a minute, but I don't know if you noticed. I don't know if they're even still on YouTube anymore. But somebody actually made a Silent Hill 2 fan-made film with the game and a Silent Hill 3 fan-made film with the game. I don't know. Yeah, if you yeah, I've seen them. I I use them for because some of the actors I work with hadn't actually played the Silent Hill game, so I. I sent them those those specific links so, that, so okay. that they could get, you know, so within a couple of hours, they could be like, right, I've got it. I know where I am now. Yeah. You know. Yeah, because that was, that was one thing I was yeah. glad about with your film, with how you kept the uh, Silent Hill 2, Silent Hill 3 thing. You kept that going. Like, like as soon as I heard James say his dead wife, I was just like, oh, God, God, we're still doing this. This is good. This is good. <laughs> So, but yeah, but yeah, when it comes to origin stories, yeah, I don't, I don't have any interest in origin stories, especially if, if you've already told the origin once before. It's like, why do they keep remaking Spider-Man origin stories? Oh my god! <laughs> you know, it's like we get it. He was bit by a fucking spider. Can we move on? Right. You know, and Batman stories. We get it. His parents were killed. Move on. 
You know, I was yeah. surprised not to see a Batman origin in Justice League. You know? Oh my god. You know, we did weren't there. Careful, so Gareth, we, we might see one in five years. Batman film where Batman's not complaining about his dead parents. <laughs> You know, so I get it. It's tragic, and that's what made you put on a bat suit and kick people in. But you know, <laughs> we know. All right, Garrus. Uh, moving on. So, what are some? What are five of your favorite horror films or games? Um. Okay, the thing. John Carpenter's the thing. Um, horror games. Dead Space Two. Really like Dead Space Two. Um, obviously Silent Hill is in there but I figured I'd talk about other games rather than the obvious ones yeah right um, other horror mo- uh, Evil Dead 2 can love Evil Dead 2 the original or the somewhat uh, remake there no the, the Evil Dead 2 as in the remake of Evil Dead you know Ash yeah. Yeah. Ash Chainsaw I'm just making sure because you know it was kind of weird to see that um, remake I didn't watch it Again, like like origin stories, I'm not a big fan of remakes either. Mm, I'll watch them if the if I hear good things about them. Otherwise, I stay away from them. Like, I heard some good things about the Evil Dead remake, but I just um, because if if you know if said to me, right, pick you right, you can only pick one Evil Dead film to watch the rest of your life. Well, Evil Dead Two, you know, no no question. Evil Dead was a good film for what it was. Army of Darkness was okay. Um, but Evil Dead 2 for me Dead is the pinnacle well. of horror comedy yeah. you know they, they nailed it um, then another horror film uh, this is a Thai horror film so you might not know the I-10 again it's along the same sort of lines as Evil Dead 2 it's a horror comedy I watched that when I was out in Thailand that was fantastic um, another horror game uh, what have I been playing oh this is um been playing this crazy it's actually a scrolling beat em up but it is a but it is a horror game what's it called I'm not going to be able to find it now I've got it on here somewhere <laughs> well some of my uh, favourites are like what Jennifer. you said Jennifer Jennifer oh the Quip Barker Raid engine um, which is yeah, the open bore engine. You know, they did like a source engine of Streets of Rage, and it's called Jennifer. And it's, it's lo- I think it's loosely based on a uh, Mario Argento movie called Jennifer. Yeah, Clive Barker's uh, Jennifer, I believe, right? I think. I don't, I don't know if it's Clive Barker's Jennifer. I think it's because it's Jennifer with one end. Ah, uh, this is going to make me want to look up Jennifer PS3 now. Um, I want to say it was Clyde Barker's uh, Jennifer for PS3. Yeah, or no, it, yeah, it was, um, I don't know, I haven't played that game, but no, this is a, this is just a free game, and it is loosely based on oh, okay. a, a Master of Horror, which was, yeah, directed by Dario Argento. And it's just about a demon that comes from back, from out of hell, and called yep. Jennifer. Yep. Huh. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to have to look that up, and then I'll send it to you, too, and be like, did it the one I'm thinking of then or something? I don't know. Um, yeah, some of my favorites have to be, like, the old school Manhunt, uh, Dead Space 2. Um, maybe the original Dead Space, actually, because that oh, yeah. atmosphere... Dead Space is a great game as well. Yeah, that yeah, atmosphere was just 
Fatal Frame, yeah. I'll have to go with Fatal Frame because it would be based on true events. Mm-hmm. Um, are, are you... Uh, did, you fan- play, did you ever try Dread Out? You know, the kind of the Korean version I did. of Fatal Frame. I did. I have it on my PC, actually. <laughs> Yeah, I like. I actually preferred the demo to the full game, but um, <laughs> I have played it. I did enjoy it. Yeah, I haven't gotten a chance to beat the whole thing, but I did start it, and I thought they were doing good. So I don't know if I've gotten the part, played through all the parts of. The, well, I probably did for the demo, but um, from what I did play a long time ago, um. Dreadout was pretty interesting, especially with the atmosphere. Yeah. And yeah what I liked about Dreadout was it was using, you know, like actual myths and folklore from, you know, Korean, Korean horror. Korean it's horror Korean. is always is, fucked up anyway. It is Korean. Yeah, oh yeah, well same as like Japanese horror, I mean, oh, yeah, like, yeah, if, yeah. I, if I'm going to watch a Japanese, I'm oh, sorry, it's not Korean, I thought I was wrong, it's Indonesian horror. Oh. Oh, yeah, Dreadout is Indonesian. I was just thinking, as I was saying, it's like, hold a minute, it's not Korean, is it? No, it's not, sorry. Dreadout is Indonesian horror, so it uses a lot of Indonesian ghost stories, which is very similar to sort of Thai horror. And I really like Thai horror. Like, when I was out in Thailand, we went and watched a lot of Thai horror movies, because they make a lot of Thai horror movies. And um, a really good one, which is really quite disturbing, is called Colic. And it's all about a baby who currently, it's sorry, a, a really evil guy dies, and then is resur- and then is reborn as this this uh, couple's baby, and all of the ghosts that the guy had killed in his previous life come after the baby, and obviously the family as well. Hmm. And that's yeah, that's really really messed up. Uh, just watch the trailer. It's got a bit where a baby sticks his hand in a blender. You know, it's very, very twisted. You'll have to message me that movie title afterwards. Because, yeah, yeah, I'll definitely have to uh, check it out. But, uh, let's see here. Um, Tetha, what are your favorite horror films or horror games? Um. Uh. I guess I'll have to go with, first off, you and you already know this because I say this every time I'm asked, um, the original black and white of Night of the Living Dead. Oh, yeah. yeah classic. Um, uh, let's see here. Um, shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did like Outlast. I did like Outlast. Outlast was fun. Um... I do like the Dead Space games. Um, Apart from Dead Space 3, that kind of... Bit of a misstep there. Fun in co-op, though. A lot yes. of fun in co-op. Yes, I will agree with that. It wasn't really horror, though. It was more like... Oh, Dead Space 3 is an action game. Oh, yeah. Where you just, where you just fight monsters. Yeah. You know, whereas... Dead Space 2 is still a horror game, but has kind of action-y elements, shall we say, and Dead Space is a horror game. Dead Space is basically yeah. what Resident Evil 5 should have been, I guess. <laughs> uh, we won't even discuss Resident Evil 5 right now. Um, in my eyes, Resident Evil 4 was the last Resident Evil game, because that was the last Indie Mikami game. 
Yeah. Um, Evil Evil Within um, is definitely a favorite now. Have you played the sequel yet? Yes. Yes, we and, did. And I love and I love them both. So those cool. are definitely two of my favorites. Um, as far as movies go, the list goes on and on. But to name a few, um, I like. Um, I also like the black and white of Nosferatu. I like. Um, I like the. Um, it's okay. You can say it. Thanks, killing. No, thanks, killing is just funny. It's just so bad, but it's funny. Um, <laughs> I guess for like vampire movies and stuff, I like like Bram Stoker's Dracula and. Um, you like your blood and chocolate. I like my blood and chocolate. I like my. Um, the craft. Well, craft's not really horror. No, it's but it's a witch it, movie. It's it still, though. Um, I mean, it still kind of fits in the category. <laughs> Um, well, it's what's like that? Horror, like what's Hocus that? Pocus is horror. Hocus Pocus. I like Oculus. I like, um... Oh, Oculus. I really thought Oculus was very well done the way they did it, especially The Awakening. And what is it? Don't Be Afraid of the Dark? Is that the one? Yeah, Don't Be Afraid of the Don't Dark. Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. With I the, like... uh, uh... The, the Tooth Fairies. Yeah, Tooth Fairies. That's what it was. Um, let me see here. Give me a second. <laughs> you know, we said that you could just name a few. You don't have to go down to the whole <laughs> list. I mean, that's fine. Oh, uh, I like Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. I like the Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. I like the Babadook. Babadook. I like the Evil Dead series. Evil Dead what? The Evil Dead series. The Evil Dead series, okay. The whole series. Like Return yep. of the Living Dead. Return of the Living Dead. Brain. Tales from the Crypt for a series. Tale from the Crypt. Tale from the Dark Side. Yeah. yeah. All right, babe. I think you're going on the way too much. <laughs> All right. I mean, right. if we're really going to be technical, we might as well throw in the old school cartoon of Beetlejuice and um, Grimwins while we're at it. Yeah, why not? And then if we're really going to go old school... Would throw in uh, Universal the, Monsters. That and I was gonna say the old school cartoons of Scooby Doo, but <laughs> moving on. <laughs> uh, so Garrett, what what helped you get inspired to write your stories or scripts? Um, I am. Um, <clears throat> I suppose my main influence for what I do would most likely be stuff like. Sort of nineties anime, you know your Fist of the North Stars, your your Venus Wars, your Ghost in the Shells, um, your Kira's, your um, uh, Sorcerers, um, Odin, fucking Legend of Cristania, uh, Vampire Hunter D. You know those that kind of time period of anime really influences me. You know. Your Robotech, your, your Macrosses, all that sort of stuff. Because I, the thing with that 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 time piece of anime, shall we say, it's very distinctive. You can always you always know you're watching an anime from that period of time because of the the animation style, the the subject matter, um, the particular directors and writers. 
And what I love about that kind of anime is that they can portray to you these these massive events, but they only show you just enough of it for you to fill in the blanks in your mind. You know, so, and I use that a lot in my own films. Because obviously I'm working with, my, with, you know, minuscule budgets or no budgets. You know, Requiem was the first time I actually had a budget to work with. Up until that point, all my films were made with what I had in my pocket and the free time of people that were willing to give me their free time to be in them. And so, but I still want my films to be grandiose and and big and large and, you know, still give that sense of production value. And with anime, because back then, especially in the 90s, they didn't have a great deal of money, which is why everything was anime. They used certain techniques and certain, certain aesthetics to present to you this gigantic thing that's happening but only show you just enough of it for you to be able to fill in the blanks. And then when you actually watch it and watch it and study it in terms of what are they actually showing, they're not showing what you remember seeing when you think back to, oh, yeah, in that anime, this happened and this happened. You know, it did, but when you go back and watch it, they didn't particularly show you what you think you saw. You filled in the gaps because they showed you just enough for you and I don't know what the technique is called, and it's quite hard to explain, but that aspect of anime is a massive influence to me in terms of how I can present the stories that I want to tell in a way that's A, affordable, and B, manageable. And so, so yeah, so a lot of my inspiration comes from sort of, you know, early 90s to late, no, sorry, late 80s to mid-90s anime. Video games are a massive influence to me, pretty much for the same reason. Not so much now, because obviously AAA games have ridiculous, almost Hollywood movie budget budgets. And um, but Some, games, yeah. you know, especially games from like the 16-bit and 32-bit era, where they were trying to present to you something grandiose, but... I mean, which is why we have Silent Hill. I mean, at the end of the day, Konami went to Team Silent and said, we want you to make a film that's like a Hollywood movie. And they tried, but the PlayStation wasn't powerful enough. So they added the fog to compensate, and voila, now we have Silent Hill. You know, um, so again, I like things that uh, challenge their limits. That's a big inspiration to me because... That's what I'm doing. I mean, at the end of the day, I made a feature film with five grand. Whether you like the film or not, I still made a feature film with five grand. You know, I mean, Hollywood, they probably spend more than on a catering budget. <laughs> you know, so... Well, you know, it's like that saying. If, you, if you're going to create a f- f- uh, full-length movie, and then if you make other movies after that, usually it's got to be around the same budget. Because if you do lower or high, uh, if you do lower than what you normally do, then that usually hurts your um, reputation or something. I, I I don't really remember exactly how it's said, but I just know, like, if you're used to making, like, for you, Garrett, like, let's just say you keep making films at five grand, right? But then let's say you make that one feature length that's, like, a thousand dollars, we'll just say. Like, that 
gonna in a in a way that's gonna hurt you because you're you're already your main budget is like five grand, not a thousand. If you get what I'm trying to say. Oh yeah, but at the same time, I'm used to making films with nothing because that's how I started out. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, the money that I raised for Requiem, I I didn't see any of that. That purely went on the production. Right. You know, which mainly went for giving actors expenses so that they could be in it. Yeah. You know, paying for their travel because all the actors lived all over the place. None of them actually lived in the city that I was filming in, and they all lived in other cities. So that allowed me to be able to get them there. It allowed me to buy costume and props. You know, it allowed me to build because all of the bar, I think one monster in Requiem is all practical. You know, there's only one monster in that film that's actually computer graphics all of the rest of would that practical. be pyramid head uh, yeah practical they were all practical all of the monsters were practical apart from one monster that was all cgi and um because that's what i wanted to do because again i wanted to avoid what revelations did and have these what they think are scary monsters that just look bloody stupid <laughs> you know I mean, that mannequin monster is just... It looked like it belonged in a Teletubbies cartoon, not in a bloody oh, horror movie. Oh, my God, Teletubbies. You know, it just wasn't wasn't scary at all. It was just funny. You know, and... Oh, um, yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, and, and uh. it just doesn't work. It's <laughs> like, you, you think this is scary? This looks like it comes out of the bloody Scrooge movie. You know, <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> You know, so that's why I wanted to go practical. I wanted my monsters to be there, you know, to be real. And also, I'm not a 3D modeler, so I couldn't have made them out of graphics either I wanted to. So you still, uh, so what you're saying is you still have that red pyramid head head thing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've still got, the, I've still got all the costumes. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm not sure if I'm going to bring back Red Pyramid thing for Lazarus because, you know, I think, uh, you know, I I don't know. The thing with Pyramid Head is he's become far too much fan service, you know. Well, I think that's why we never saw Pyramid Head in, like, Silent Hill 3, 4, and Down 4. I don't think he was in Origins. No, that was the butcher. You had the butcher instead in Origins. Yeah, didn't that's you? right. And and the one thing I just don't get, unless you can help me out with this, Gareth, is why the hell was Pyramid Head in Homecoming? For because that one he was point. in the movie. Homecoming is pretty much a game based on the Silent Hill movie. All the things that happen in the Silent Hill movie will happen at some point in Silent Hill Homecoming. Oh, okay. That cause, cause that one little second when he ducks down and you see Pyramid Head just walking by with yeah. with that body being dragged behind him, I'm just like, what would the point of this? I mean, don't get me wrong. I love seeing Pyramid Head because I I liked the the idea of Pyramid Head, but just to see only see him for that three second, I was just well. Like, there is there is one of the endings of Homecoming where Alex is turned into a Pyramid Head. I completely forgot about that. I completely forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. Did like, what, three or five endings of Homecoming anyway? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. I don't even remember what ending I even got. Hmm. Um, Well, I'll I'll have to admit, I haven't finished any of the Western Silent Hill games. Personally, I haven't finished them. I've watched them be finished. I own them all, 
and I, I tried to play through Homecoming and Downpour and Origins and Shattered Memories, but they just, for me, they just weren't Silent Hill enough. And I so I think I got halfway through all of them, and then I went to YouTube to watch the rest of it. Well, what did you think of Downpour? What did you think of that take? I didn't like it. I, I thought, and again, you'll probably understand this because you've seen all of Silent Hill Requiem, but I believe that that game should have been about Anne, not about Bloody Murphy, because the final boss has got nothing to do with Murphy, but everything yep. to do with Anne. Yep. You know, all of the creatures pretty much have nothing to do with Murphy, but would make more sense if you were playing Anne. You know, I mean, if you've read Anne's story, which is the four-part comic book series they release, which is fantastic, I suggest if you haven't read it, find it, read it. It's really good. But think about it this way, right? If the story was about Anne, so you'd be playing That's Anne. That's the uh, police officer, right? Anne's driving force is to get Murphy. So you as the player are with Anne on this. Yeah, we're going to get this guy Murphy. He, yeah. he fucked up our father. You know, so you go through all this shit through Silent Hill and you finally get hold of Murphy. and You can kill him. And you get a choice. Do you kill him or do you not? If you kill him, no, if you don't kill him, Silent Hill reveals to you the truth. That he wasn't the one that did that shit to your dad. It was Sewell and off you go to Sewell in the prison and you deal with him there. Or you end up killing Murphy and then Silent Hill reveals to you that now you're just as fucking bad because you've just murdered an innocent man and then you're damned forever. Now, that would be a much more interesting game for me than what Downpour was, which was just another retelling of, oh, my dead son. Yeah, I mean, I didn't mind it, but I do agree with you. Like, that final boss was just like, what? Like, this is yeah, it? it's got nothing to do with Murphy at all. No. But... Pretty much in the end, you're the boogeyman. Either way you look at it. So, whatever. Um, I don't know. I mean, I felt they were trying to bring back Silent Hill. I mean, I, I even tried, uh, what is it called? Silent Hill uh, Book of Memories, I think it was called. Did you? Bloody hell. Not even um, I would try that. Um, but just because I thought it was going to be interesting, I mean, I like to try to give certain things a take, and anything usually with Silent Hill, I'll try to give it a try, but... I mean, I, I didn't have a PS Vita anyway, so... Well, I tried it, and I'm just like, this is different, um... <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just going to leave it at that, I'm just going to leave it at that, um, <laughs> it, I mean, the only cool thing about it, I guess, was that you could have up to four people helping you defeat these weird levels and bosses, but it kind of goes back to, like, what you were saying, like, it had nothing to do with the story, so in this case, I don't even know if there's even a story at all with Book of Memories, but supposedly there's supposed to be, but I apparently didn't catch on to the story, but... Oh, well. From what I've been told, you just get given the book of memories and then you start rewriting your story and that's what sucks you into the other world. Yeah. Yeah, because you got to continue the story of rewriting it, so... Yeah. Yeah. Okay, um... How long did it take you to get into the role of James uh, Sunderland, Gareth? 
Um, right, with with that, I wanted because like I said I wanted to evolve the characters from their their point in time that you've last seen them. And one of the uh, one of the, the one of the remits for my story was because obviously the the first four Silent Hill games have multiple endings. And you've got some people saying some endings are true, blah blah blah. Um, my excuse is: if there's there, if there's a true ending, then why are there multiple endings? Why there's not just one ending? And um, and I like the fact that there's multiple endings. I think that's really cool because it it it, it, it re, you know it enforces replay value. And um, but my choice was to if I was going what sorry going off key. Basically, to write my story, my timeline was going to be based on what ending I got the first time I finished each game. So with Silent Hill 1, I got the bad ending because I killed Sybil. Uh, with Silent Hill 2, I got the leave ending where James leaves with Laura. Uh, Silent Hill 3, I got the good ending. And Silent Hill 4, I got the bad ending because everybody died apart from Henry. So that was my starting point. That's the timeline that my characters in, in Requiem existed. So you've got Cheryl is just Cheryl, but obviously having to deal with the fact that she's probably not human. Um, James has gone off trying to help raise Laura. Um, Harry's obviously dead because of Silent Hill 3. And Henry lost everyone. So, so then coming back to James, it was like, well, my idea, my, my, I looked at how the ending I got was. So in that ending, James is suddenly next to Mary and she forgives him and he walks off and then leaves Silent Hill with Laura. Then over the years that pass, James starts to think, well, how could Mary have forgiven me when she's dead? So she didn't forgive me. I forgave myself. And how can I forgive myself for what I have done? Which obviously drives him into a kind of fugue state where he starts to rely a bit too much on alcohol. He becomes a liability to raising Laura, which is why things happen there. You know, and then, you know, to try to get into that state, I I basically role played the character, you know. That there's a big speech in the in the movie, which obviously you've seen, that James gives. Well, I actually got drunk and recorded myself, and that's where that speech come from. I kind of put myself in that kind of position. You know, I've killed my wife. I tried to forgive myself for it, but how dare I forgive myself for something that can't be forgiven? And I fucked up this, and I fucked up that, and now I'm a drunk. And, uh, and then I just kind of let the the manifest itself and then basically recorded it all through a dictaphone and then you know the next day i listened back to it and that's how i started to build some of the script so that's kind of how i got into the role of james is by basically trying to put myself in his shoes as as much as you know so i suppose you know they call it method acting don't they so i kind of used ideas of method acting and that's how I put myself into the role of James. And I kind of knew I had to do that because because I'm also directing as well as acting. I've got to jump between two kind of roles almost at a flip of a coin. 
So I don't get that option to psych myself up and get ready to play James Sunderland. It's like, right, now I'm James. Right, now I'm back to being the director. Right, now I'm James. You know, so I needed to do a lot of post work by putting myself into that character so it would be easier for me to just switch him on and switch him off. And that, that, and that's usually the best way to do it. I mean, in order to understand to be somebody is by putting yourself into their shoes anyway. And um, just like with, um, like, let's just say, like, Kane or whoever plays as Jason Voorhees, one of the things that they usually say that they do is they stay away from everybody. So that way... Um, they isolate themselves they, to yeah, stay in the character. To stay in the character. In your case... You're getting drunk just to f feel what it would be like to be drunk because you killed your wife. Yeah. And it, it makes perfect sense because otherwise if you just start writing and be like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that like what a drunk person would say to try to forgive himself. It probably... But it wouldn't be like from your own experience of what you felt when you did it. Or whoever would yeah. try to put it themselves into anybody's shoes so yeah um and that's usually in my opinion how a good script is made anyway because as long as you can somehow get into the person's shoes to understand what they're going through with all the pain uh, misery whatever guilt and then maybe finally getting that forgiveness then you can kind of start understanding, like, okay, well, this, well, if she was a liability because you didn't, like, as you said with James, um, it's hard to watch somebody die, um, which is true. I mean, that's pretty much real, real in real life. I mean, we all yeah. hate watching somebody die, and usually, in James' case, um, you thought of the next best thing. Which would be to ease the pain by the bottle, the bottle, or doing the job. Which in this case, it would James smothering his wife. So, and I, and I used to always um, debate about how it was possible to get a letter from James' dead wife that had been dead for two years ago, which was the starting of uh, Silent Hill Two. I always used to ask myself, how would that even be possible without Silent Hill recreating her or something? Oh, well, if you look at the note at the end of the game before you go through the, the water-soaked hotel, that letter is actually blank. There was never a letter. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was pretty much his... Um, uh, His kind of fugue state that kind of created the letter. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I guess it has been a while since I played Silent Hill too. Um, yeah, that's right. It was blank. Yep. All right, all right. Um, next question. How many people help run Zenith Films? It's just me. Just all you. All by yourself. Oh, that, is, that is yeah, impressive. I, I do everything. Obviously, the actors are the ones in front of the camera, but everything else, it's me. So I wear many hats. 
Yes, you do, because I saw that you, I saw a post of this recently, too, but I saw that you're trying to do, like, an Alan Wake film. And um, yeah, it was, we, we filmed, excuse me, we filmed a proof of concept for an Alan Wake kind of web series uh, about, what, I think four years ago now. And um, it's all filmed. It's just sat on a hard drive waiting to be edited. And this was back after Silent Hill American Nightmare had come out. And it didn't look like they were going to be making Alan Wake 2, so to speak. Right. Because uh, obviously um, Remedy went off and made um, uh, Quantum... What's it? Quantum Break? I think it's called Quantum Break. That one on the Xbox... Uh, on the Xbox One. Uh, I wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah, I think it's called Quantum Break, but rather than make Alan Wake 2, they ended up making that. And so I was like, well, you know, I love Alan Wake, and I've been playing a lot of Alan Wake, and obviously the, the American Nightmare, Xbox, uh, sorry, the, uh, the kind of short game experience. So I come up with this idea of how the story could continue American Nightmare with like Mr. Scratch and all of that kind of stuff. And so I got together with uh, Catherine Louise, who plays the nurses in Silent Hill Requiem. And we just filmed a very quick kind of proof of concept for maybe a web series that I was then going to crowdfund. I mean, again, this was before Silent Hill Requiem came into reality. Because I, I do that a lot. I come up with ideas and I get some people together and we film just a little short little proof of concept of what it could be so that I could then cut that together and then either just leave as a proof of concept so it's just something on my YouTube channel or use it potentially for crowdsourcing it to be a bigger thing. And like I filmed an Alan Wake one, we've got a Parasite Eve one in the works. Um, as in, again, these have all been filmed, I just need to... I just them. actually saw that, or Tessa just actually showed me that post while we were... As we were doing this interview, uh, that post of the Parasite Eve, which I uh, never got a chance to play it, but um, a friend of mine was telling me about it, and so if he listened to this interview, and now that you just said that, I think he's going to look forward to it even more. So, yeah, no, it's, again, it's going to be a little short proof of concept, which I'm probably going to try and use for crowdfunding. But again, like you said, the thing with Parasite Eve is there's not a real big interest in Parasite Eve anymore. I think after they did that third birthday game, you know, it was kind of like, yeah, Square Enix don't really give a shit about this franchise anymore. And again, it's because the reason why Third Birthday was called Third Birthday and not Parasite Eve 3 is because they lost the license and couldn't be bothered to pay for it again. Because uh, obviously Parasite Eve is a book that was made into a film in Japan, and then the Parasite Eve games follow on from that film. Hmm. Uh, but yes, yeah, so I've got a Parasite Eve proof of concept in the works. We've got a Resident Evil proof of concept in the works. Um, I saw that. What was the Resident Evil one again? Yeah, Resident Evil Patient Zero. It kind of takes... It's, it follows Helena and Leon again. And uh, Owen's in it, she plays Helena. And um, I was going to push forward with it, but I don't know, because of how bad Resident Evil 6 did and how <laughs> people don't really care about the character, the only time she was ever used was Resident Evil 6, I might refilm that and change Helena out for Jill instead and just get Owen back in to, 
to play the character of Jill rather than Elena, but we'll see what goes on with that. Um, got a Tomb Raider proof of concept, but we've put that on hold because obviously there's a Tomb Raider movie coming out next year. So, and a lot of the time, big studios will shut down even small, insignificant people like me because they fear that a fan project will be better than a major AAA budget movie which can happen like a lot of times yeah yeah it can happen um what else have i got here oh syndicate wars based on the very old bullfrog game syndicate wars um i filmed that it just needs to be cut together uh something on the super nes game wild guns we filmed something for that uh and then you obviously the, the rest of, oh, we were thinking about doing something for clock tower uh, Carmen San Diego, we were thinking about doing something for that. Bioshock, we were thinking about doing something for that. Uh oh. And go, then babe. my my own my own project, which is uh, episode Tlee, Helsing, and uh, the Bride. Oh, and the Bureau twenty one twenty three. There's something there as well. Nice. Yeah, Tet is a big fan of the Bioshock series. And, oh um, yeah, I love those games. So I played you, them all. You've already just caught her attention. With <laughs> yeah, that one. my eyes just got big when you said Bioshock. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you already have a fan for that one already. So, um, yeah. So Gareth, uh, let's see, where are we at now? Well, I don't know if you want to answer this one, but I put it in there in case you mentioned the name. But since I mentioned it, um. Because with the way you do the art and stuff, I could definitely see you do this, but maybe, maybe in the future, would you ever think of making a Fatal Frame movie? Um, probably not. Um, although Fatal Frame is, is a favorite of mine in terms of the games, it doesn't, it doesn't really grab me again. I feel like it's kind of told its tale. I, I and, can see where you're coming from, yep. And, I mean, I have seen a fan Fatal Frame film. Uh, I think it was made in Japan, but it wasn't great. But I don't think it wasn't great because it wasn't made well. I just, I think there are some games that don't translate cross-medium. And, um... Maybe Fatal Frame might be one of them because because of its because of its style and aesthetics, it's very it's very claustrophobic, which is good for the sense of it being a horror game. Yes, but I don't think that that would translate very well to film. And like I said, I was watching this fan film and they nailed it. It was obviously a fan film for for Fatal Frame, but it was kind of boring. And I think it's because they made it so much like the game that because you didn't have that interactivity anymore, mm. you you just felt like a third wheel rather than an audience member. So I don't know. I don't. I think Fatal Frame would be a tough one to tackle, and I don't think I'm the man for the job. Well, that's a pity. But oh well. I guess I'll have and there to... was going to be a kind of dread out slash fatal frame type scene in Requiem. I mean, as you know, there's a bit of 
you know, I don't want to go into spoilers, but there's a there's a section in the film that's very reminiscent of those games. But the section is kind of it's not very long. No. But there was going to be a longer section, uh, which was going to actually involve the ghost of Lisa Garland. But um, we basically cut it a because I couldn't find an actress to play Lisa Garland, and we also cut it for time because gotcha. it would have it would have only been in the film just to showcase Lisa Garland. It wouldn't have added anything to the story, or you know, so it would just it would have literally just been a here's a wink to the fans kind of scene. So ah, uh. it, it got it got cut. But that would have been down. That would have been very much down the lines of Fatal Frame because you would have had Cheryl using her phone to see, and then she would have had uh, Cynthia as her partner. So very similar to how Fatal Frame kind of worked. Okay. Yeah. So it might be something that I might explore later on in Lazarus. It all depends on how much money we raise. Uh, yeah. Um, and speaking of Lazarus. Um... You just barely want that again on Indiegogo, and yeah. um, you're trying to raise how much for this one now for your twelve episode web series? Uh, we're trying. To, we're trying to raise eight thousand dollars for this one because uh, um, this is kind of going to sound weird. But when I worked out how much I'd be able to spend on each episode, it ended up being six hundred and sixty-six dollars. <laughs> and you, you, yeah, and you times that by twelve, and you basically get eight grand. So. Nice. That's what I want to do. But again, I, I set this Indiegogo to flexible because plan B would be if we don't raise all eight, we use what we raise to make as many episodes as we can make. I mean, right now, we've raised enough to make one episode. Okay. So we would make that one episode and then use that episode to fund the next episode and so on and so forth. Right. Okay. Um, and just for people that may not know um, Indiegogo and stuff, um, so what made you want to go with Indiegogo instead of Kickstarter? Uh, because every time I try and use Kickstarter, they tell me that though I'm in the UK, I can, I can set up a Kickstarter. You know, so you, you spend a couple of hours setting up the page and setting up all your, adding all your links and your videos and all your information. And then you get to the bit where it's like, right, now tell us where you live. And I'm like, the UK. And it's like, no, you have to live in America. And it's like, hold a minute, you told me that I could live in the UK when I started this bloody thing. I've spent two hours filling out this page. And now you're telling me I can't use it. Oh, I contact Kickstarter and say, hold a minute, you're saying that I can but the site's telling me I can't. And they're like, oh, it must be an error. You'll have to start again. Oh, I'm like, God. I haven't got the time to start again. So bollocks to you. I'm going to go use Indiegogo. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, um, so I've never had a problem setting up an Indiegogo page, which is why I use Indiegogo. If I had no problem using Kickstarter, I probably would have used Kickstarter. But ooh. the only thing with Kickstarter is you don't get to set up a flexible you only get fixed. Right. So if you don't reach your goal, you don't get any of the money that is raised. Exactly. Yeah, because they don't charge people like me who use Kickstarter sometimes. Um, they don't charge us until it, it is funded. Or if it is funded, then in that case, it won't charge us until 
D campaign had done anyway. Yeah. But with yeah. Indiegogo, they're going to take your money either way. So. Well, if, if it's set to flexible, yeah. If it's set to fix, they won't. They'll do the same as Kickstarter. Oh, okay. Yeah, so you get two choices with Indiegogo, flexible or fixed, whereas with Kickstarter, you only get fixed. Okay. So, see, that's the one thing I've been trying to figure out is what the hell the difference between Indiegogo and Kickstarter, and you just pretty much answered it. So that's, yeah, that's good it's, to know. It's, basic, it's basically that, yeah. Yeah, so... Um, this is my last question before um, Tessa gives you the last two that we have because you kind of answered some of ours already w by doing the introduction, which is okay, but I just didn't want to repeat your, uh, yourself either. But uh, the last one for me, Garrett, is when you were making Silent Hill Requiem, um, did, actually, uh, we pretty much already did that. Uh, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll just give them the last question. Um. Well, for okay. So for people that don't know, uh, Gareth, this is this is the the question that I made for people that don't know that maybe have now found Lazarus, so they don't really know about um how long it took you for Requiem. So for people that do not know how long it took you, how long did it take you to complete? Silent Hill Re Requiem. Okay, well, I started. I initially started Requiem in November 2013. That's when I I wrote down the small amount of script that I was going to do for the short. Um, I then drew up the storyboards, which I think consisted of about eight sides of A4, I think. And um, then we filmed over three evenings in December. It then took me from then, obviously a small break at Christmas, it then took me from then till uh, the start of February to cut together what was the five-minute proof of concept. Then chuck the proof of concept out there with Indiegogo, and, um, and we raised the money we wanted. We raised more money than we wanted. So once the campaign was over, which would have been near the end of March uh, 2014, I started writing the script and obviously working with my cons my consultant we it took us about three months to write the script then it took me a further three to four months to draw up all the storyboards which um, the script was 60 pages the storyboard was a hundred and forty page uh, 140 sides so you know wow. 70 pages double-sided so um and that was uh, that was drawn kind of my storyboards i draw quite extensively because because i'm working on green screen i want my actors to you know so i explain to them where they are and what they're doing then i show them the picture i drew as well so they get a nice visual representation of where they are and where their eye line is and what's around them etc Right. We then filmed. Um, uh, filming was spread out a little bit because I couldn't get certain actors together. So there are moments in Silent Hill where two actors are talking, but those two actors weren't actually on set together. And the way I got around that was um, I would we I would play the opposing role for the actors. So like say there's a conversation between I don't know um, James and Heather, we'll say. Yeah. Um, 
Well, that would work because I was playing Jake. Oh, but right. It was, the yeah, Robbian um, header. But, yeah, but basically, so there was. So say there wasn't a character there, so I would play that role for, for them, and then when I got the other actor there, uh, so Henry and Cheryl, in fact, because Henry and Cheryl weren't on set ever together. <laughs> but you would never, but you'd never think that from watching the film. And um, so filming was kind of spread out, but collectively, I would say filming took about a month. And uh, um, but that was spread out from August 2013 through to about November. 2014. So I started the editing process around the end of October 2014. Then I worked on it pretty much seven days a week, eight hours a day. I think over those uh, three years of editing, I probably took two months off collectively. And um, what you deserved? Sorry. What you deserved? Well, yeah. So then, so yeah. So I edited full on from. Let's say October 2014, all the way through to uh, probably October this year, 2017, and uh, and then yeah, and then obviously I um, and then I released it on the 17th of November, which is awesome because I remember when you said it. I remember getting that email when you said it's finally done. And we'll be sending out the digital and stuff. And I was telling uh, Tessa at the time, and I was just like, I was like, pretty soon we're going to be having a new film to watch that I backed all the way back in 2014. And she's just like, oh? She's like, what is it? And I'm like, oh, it's a fan-made film called Sound Hill Requiem. And she's just like, that sounds interesting. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> And here we are watching it, and we both agree that you have done a phenomenal job. Which will especially, we... especially with doing it all on your own. Yeah, Gareth, I have to admit, like when you were saying that this is all done by yourself, I was giving you more props than who knows what. So, I mean, because, <laughs> well, look at this guy, um, I forget the studio right now, but... Uh, it was, it's a game studio, or it was a guy that had, like, a studio thing, but he would make it a game called, uh, Allison Road. Oh, yeah, yeah. That guy did have a team, but now, from what, what that I knew, and this is from what I last heard and stuff, but he is by himself now, still making that game. Yeah, well, apparently Team 17 picked it up and then dropped it. Or something like that. Yeah, I don't yeah. know what the hell happened. And I was going to give that guy props, too. Uh, I was giving him props, too, because one guy working on that a game, like, oh, I can only imagine uh, uh, struggled for that. Especially, oh, yeah, absolutely. Especially when he got offered a... Um, what was it, a publishing deal, I think it was, so he ended up ending his Kickstarter, and look where that ended up. Yeah. So, you were doing this all by yourself, Gareth, and I must, I'm, here, so I must ask you now, after finally releasing it, how do you, how do you honestly feel? Um, relieved that I managed to actually get it out. And that it has had, to, for the for the best for, for the best part, a very good positive response. 
You know, I mean, the 30 minutes that's on YouTube right now is 7,000 times, you know, in the space of a week. And for, for my sort of, for the stuff I normally put up, you know, that's unheard of. Um, obviously, people are donating to Lazarus, so people want to see more. Like that one no. person that you keep mentioning about how they watched the 13 minute, um, 13 minute opening of Sound Hill Requiem, and then now since she or since they, I don't know if it's a he or she, but since they donated and seen the whole thing, now they're encouraging people to donate. I thought that was very, very awesome because yeah, that's happened twice now. Twice I've had now. two people have watched the opening 30 minutes and then come to me and said it's a load of old shit. And um, I've been like, well, fair enough. You know, you're entitled to your opinion. I'm not, I, I don't really care either way. And, um, but then I've got into a dialogue with them. You know, I've explained to them things that they've, they've not understood because they just haven't been paying attention. You know, they said, oh, why, uh, who's that? Who's this? In the 13 minutes, you just, you know, just watch back at this point. Watch watch back at that point. And they're like, oh, yeah. And then they've both ended up donating to watch the whole film. One of them has then come back and is encouraging other people. And the other one came back saying, oh, I'm going to take back some of the things I said, but I still don't think it's brilliant. And I'm like, well, you know, it's fair enough, isn't it? You know, you don't like it. I don't expect everyone to like it. You know, you can't please everyone, and I would never Agreed. try to do so. Agreed. You know, you know, I will please those that I please, and as long as I please myself and the people that help me make it, that's the only people I need to please. Yeah, that's why, like, when I got to the credits, I was, like, really shocked to see my name in the credit for helping, for being one of the backers to help you. I was just like, oh, wow, my name's oh, in yeah, the project. Everyone, everyone's name's going to be in there, absolutely. Which I thought that was very nice, because um, sometimes um, you don't really see credit where credit, credit is due. Yeah, exactly, where credit is due. So it was very nice to see that, and um, it's just I'm just I'm just uh, proud of you, Garrett. I mean, I really think <laughs> I, I really think you. you. Well, the way I look at it, because of what Konami had done. Even though, see, now, you're saying you understand it from a business-wise, which I kind of now, after listening to you, understand. But still, if you're going to get people's hopes up for a Sound Hill game, and I mean, we're talking PT did so well that people who've yeah. never heard of the series were coming in and saying, what the hell is this game? They were bringing in an audience, like they were, and then... Whatever happened, happened. I mean, I don't really need to know the full details, but I know I wasn't really pleased because I was finally looking forward to a game that of Silent Hill that was actually probably going to be, may have been one of the scariest Silent Hills ever, technically. I mean, we don't know that now anymore, but I'm just saying that uh, the, the PT demo, or should I say the playable teaser, but... Yeah. um. Um, I just really hope, though, Garrett, and I don't know if you thought of this, but with your release of this of your fan-made film for Sound Hill Requiem, I really hope that it will shine a light if Konami were to hear about your film, which 
I'm assuming they probably have by now. I mean, you have had Rely on Hor uh, Horror do an article for your film. I think you said you had another one, another place that did yeah, an article. Yeah, uh, Bloody Disgusting did a review as well. Really? Oh, I did not yeah. see that. What did Bloody Disgusting think? Yeah, what did Bloody Disgusting think? They liked it. Yeah, it was, I'm it was so a positive glad. review. Good. Good. Because... Because this is why I'm saying, because of your fan-made film, Garrett, it would really, it, that's a nice shine shine of a light to Silent Hill franchise right now. After Konami completely got, I don't want to say got rid of, but they, they put Silent Hill on hold. Like, I, I don't know if you noticed, Garrett, but do they still own, do they, does Konami still own the right to Silent Hill? Oh yeah, it's theirs. It's, it's fundamentally theirs. Without, without question. Okay. Because Team Silent were owned by Konami. They were Team Silent were members of Konami uh, gaming divisions that hadn't done so well. So Konami just threw them all together and said, "Here, make this. You know, keep yourselves busy." And um, they ended up making probably one, of, you know, one of the best franchises that Konami's ever had. Right. But um. But, uh, but I yeah, just but Silent Hill is definitely owned by Konami. They okay. own Silent Hill. Well, I just hope that it shines a light, your project shines a light to Konami to say, hey, people are really digging this. Maybe we should consider bringing Silent Hill back. Cause yeah, hopefully. Hopefully. I mean, I really hope that if it does come back, it doesn't turn out to be like another Red and Evil. Um, we don't need that. Especially Silent Hill, but if they can re uh, reboot it, we'll just say for lack of a better term, um, kind of like well, what yeah. I mean, I think what they should do. The thing that what made I think what made Silent Hill the was the it was its Japanese interpretation of an American horror story. Yeah, and I think that's what made it so unique is because it wasn't. An American horror story made by Americans. It was an American horror story made by Japanese. Right. And so it had that kind of cross culture within it by default. And I think that's what made it so atmospheric. That's what made it so scary. But whereas when they gave it to Western developers, they made a Western horror game and it lost that cultural crossover. You know, it wasn't Westerners interpreting Western stuff, it was Westerners making a Western game. You know, whereas I think it would probably work in reverse. If Westerners tried to make a Japanese horror game, you would probably get something very unique. And I think that's what, you know, that's what they need to do with Silent Hill again. I don't think they need to get Team Silent back specifically, but it would be good if they could. But I think if they're going to make, need to make it in-house and not farm it out to some Western developer like they did with the last four games. Mm. Yeah. I, in my opinion, I wasn't really too fond with uh, the room. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Something about the room was just boring me about it. I think it might have been the creatures because they weren't dying. They were always so annoyingly there. Yeah, they had that kind of forbidden siren feel to them, and that's what kind of gets someone knows about forbidden siren is you, you can't kill the enemies. You know, they're always coming back after. So it's just like, so it becomes an exercise in frustration. Yes. Especially with your weapons breaking all the time and you're trying to figure out where the hell to go, but you got two ghosts coming after you because you knocked them out and now they're coming back. 
So yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I never actually was able to finish the room. I do have it though, but um, no, it is, it is probably if I was to rate the team silence on your games, it'd be two, three, one, four, and three and one are kind of together. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you did. You're doing great anyway, and I think with Lazarus, it will show more of what um, can be done, if I may say. Mhm. And yeah, um, I hope so. So, uh, have you done anything else with Lazarus so far besides what we've seen, like so far, like from? No, what you've seen of Lazarus is all that's been made so far. Okay. Okay. So we haven't missed anything. That's good. No, no, I, I built it purely as a, you know, like, again, like a proof of concept. The way the way Lazarus is on the pitch video on the Indiegogo page is pretty much a similar vein to how I made the Requiem proof. Nice. It's a few scenes put together with a load of shots that could make up the body of the show. And they probably will. They'll probably inspire. I mean, if you're... Though the original Proof of Concept Requiem is no longer online because obviously the actress changed and I don't find that... And because people get confused by the simplest things, I don't want people to think the Proof of Concept is, is the final film. You know, but if right. you were to watch the Proof of Concept, um, which I'm considering putting on the physical copies of Silent Hill Requiem, um, you'll probably be able to see that, oh, I see that there's a shot there in Proof of Concept that that shot has obviously evolved into this part in Requiem, you know, etc. Right. Yeah, and I also saw that you found a guy that knows audio a little bit better than you. Yes, he is. He's actually sent me a file. I haven't had a chance to, uh, to listen to it yet, but yeah, he sent me a cleaned up uh, dialogue file, so week. And then I'll be re-upping a digital version. So everyone that's already donated for digital version will get a new link, you know, so they want to download it again to with a bit of cleaner audio. Uh, and then that version will also be the version that gets burnt to disc. Nice. Nice. Um, I bet that even takes a little bit while, too, the whole DVD making as well. But that... That's going to that's gonna take me some time because not only the whole building the DVD menus and, you know, the burning, but I've got to consider TV standards as well, you know, because obviously I live in the UK where we work with PAL standards, whereas in America you use NTSC and there are differences. So I've got to do a, a lot of testing to make sure that the discs I'm sending over the water are going to work when they get there because I can't afford to, to resend them. Right. So, right. you know, so everything has to be done to the line before I start manufacturing, I think nearly a hundred discs I've got to make, you know, so you don't want to be bodging the job on that. No, no. And I don't even know how much it even cost to really make one of those things. So it, it wouldn't be pretty pricey if you had to, replace any so yeah exactly yeah exactly so i don't i can't if i can't afford to replace anything so what i sent has to be right first time yep which i think you'll get it as the months go by but i mean i think everybody can understand that as i mean we've already waited three years for your film gareth and um i think we could wait if well this is just gonna be like a hypothetical. Hypothetical date, but we'll just say maybe like 
like not next year per se, but the year after. Like if or it another took, three years. Or another three years. <laughs> I mean, I don't they think it would take another three hours. But yeah, there is going to be a bit of a delay because I got to make sure the. I mean, I got to. I want to put a lot of. Uh, I want to put a lot of extra content on the discs as well. You know, some behind the scenes stuff. Oh no! There is there is a deleted scene I'd like to put on the disc as Ooh. well. And oh, um, that, yeah, I would like to put good. a director's commentary on there. I mean, I'd love to be able to get Olwyn to do a commentary with me, but we currently live on two separate sides of the of the island of the UK, so that might be... We might have to do a streaming one instead, but, you know, I'll, I'll work something out. Yeah, I mean, well, I'm using um, Audacity right now as you and me are ta- talking, so then I'll go back... And clean it up a little bit as much as I can with what I have for uh, programs. And then I'll cut out some of the dead air and stuff. But, I mean, you'll figure out something. I mean, yeah. even, even if you have to, like, record um, Skype, we'll say. Or be in a game together or something just to record each other's voices. I think you'll have that down. But... Yeah. But um, before the last question, Garris, that we have here, um, is there anything that you would like to talk about that we haven't asked or mentioned? Or I think we, I think you've pretty much covered everything. I mean, I've, I'm trying to think if there's anything I've not mentioned about about the project, but I really think I think we kind of nailed it. Yeah, um, I try to do my best to get everything out of everybody that I interview as best as I can because especially for me who doesn't know you, Gareth, and know mm. your um, your studios, I may say, um, I'd like to get to know you more in, on like a personal level and get to know how you came to be with like Zenith Films or your studio per se, so that way... In the future, for whoever listens to this, they can get a better understanding of you as well. Mm-hmm. And that's usually how I would say good re- good friendship or whatever happens anyway. Because, um, cause like with you, Garrett, I mean, you were, you've been very, very kind to me when I've been sending the emails. And when I thought of the idea to email you about this interview, I was just like, oh, God, would he even have time? I know he's in the UK, but, like, is he? would he be able to do this? Does he even want to? But, I mean, when you came back with, I would love to, I'm just like, okay, well, I hope he doesn't mind that we, like, like to fucking swear a lot. There, I, see, I fucking <laughs> sweared again. Oh, fuck. No, um, I'm always, I'm always, uh, I mean, I did, uh, I did an interview uh, at the beginning of the week with uh, Twitch stream, and I had to get up at 5am to do that one, because oh, they God. were streaming late at night, yeah, so I was a bit spacey, but, you know, it was, it was good fun. <laughs> oh, I always I'm enjoy glad. talking about my work, if people want to listen. Yeah, and I like to get to know more about the people who make the stuff anyway because maybe it might help me understand where they're coming from too and how they kind of get the idea like with you you got drunk to get write in, that get into the role of james Sunderland. Yeah. yeah yeah like that right there showed like yeah see you care enough about these characters that you would even step foot into one of their shoes just to 
figure out what they would say if they were um, here today. Yeah. But if you think we covered everything, then I will let Tessa give you the final question for today. Do you hope that Zenith Films will make a name for itself in the future? Uh, I... Hmm. I must... I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. I'm not really bothered either way. I mean, obviously we live in a world where we have to make money so that we can give it to someone else that we've got a roof overhead and food in our belly. So, yeah, obviously I would like Zenith Films to get to a point where... You know, I don't have to worry about not being able to pay the rent and, you know, go to the shops and buy some groceries. But I never got into this for fame or fortune. Um, You're just doing it for, I, because of the creation. For... Well, yeah, I, I do it because I feel like the reason why I exist is to make stuff. You know, I've, I've tried to have a quote-unquote normal job. And it just put me into, you know, into a deep phase of depression and, you know, the contemplations of suicide. It just felt like if this is the only reason I'm here, I don't want to be here. But when I'm, when I'm making stuff and creating and working with other creative people, it gives me a point to my existence. And, and it, it's like an addiction. It's just, it's something I have to do. I mean, I was, you know, I was never given the option to exist. Just one day I discovered that I existed because my parents wanted to have children. And I happened to be one of those children. Right. And then I'm stuck in an environment where there are rules and regulations and I have to toe the line. And, um, and that's like, well, fair enough. I'll toe the line as long as I can do what I want to do with the time that I've been given. And we don't know how much time we've been given. It's a finite number. You know, and so I want to do the things that make me feel like I sh like I have a reason to be here and and making stuff. And again, I do primarily make stuff for myself. I don't set out to make stuff for other people. I set out to make it for me. I want to be satisfied and I want to feel proud of the thing that I've made before anyone else does. You know, otherwise I won't put it out there because it's probably, if it's not good enough for me, then why would it be good enough for anybody else? But again, I only make it because I wanted to make it. I made Silent Erection because I wanted to make a Silent Hill film. And then the bonus of that is that other people want to watch it. But if people didn't want to watch it, that wouldn't take away from the experience that I have had in making it. Now, I loved every minute of working on this film. You know, and even if the the reaction to it was, oh, this is a big pile of shit, it's like, it doesn't matter because you can't take away the three years of my life I spent loving what I was doing. And, exactly, um, exactly. And that's, and that's the same with everything I've made. So if Xenofilms becomes something bigger than what it is now, well, great, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to self-sabotage it so it doesn't. <laughs> but if it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Well, I think you got the right attitude, but it isn't always good to see something that you've created grow. grow. And in this case, do you feel like Zenith Films has grown? For, for oh, it, yeah, it's definitely grown since starting this project, without question. Good, good. And that's what I was trying to get at. So pretty much you're hoping that, like, 
pretty much what I'm trying to say is like with the with the future project you make, do you hope that it will continue to grow? Is what I'm trying to say. Like you're hoping oh. you'll get more out there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. As long as it keeps allowing me to do what I do, then, you know, the bigger it gets, I guess, the better. I mean, if it gets too big, I might have to start actually pulling other people in to help me. But, you know, at the size it is now, it's it's manageable. I mean, it would be better if I was pulling in a bit of extra bit of extra coin just, you know, to cover, to cover the rent and the food and stuff. But right at this minute in time, it's, it's manageable enough. Um, and... And yes, I mean it will. The more I put into it, the bigger it will get. Um, but I'm not looking for a quick fix, shall we say? You yeah. know, it will grow at the speed that it's intended to grow. You know, yeah. at the end of the day, it's all down to what the universe decides. And um, I am nothing more than a pawn in its game. So I'll just keep doing what I do because I love doing it, and we'll just and see what, what the holds. Yeah. Yeah, and I and that's why, Gareth, I appreciate you being here talking with me and Tessa today because... Um, yeah, it's definitely been a pleasure. It has definitely been a pleasure, and I hope for those that have listened, I have enjoyed it as well. And, uh, Gareth, before you sign off with me, um, for those that are listening, where can... for Okay, let me rephrase that. Blah, 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 blah. Might be the beer talking now, but let's see. Um, <laughs> for for people that um that don't know how to find you yet, where can people find Zenish Films? Right. Um. Basically, if you um on pretty much every social media platform there is, if you look for Zenith Films as one word, sorry, Zenith Films as you like as you guys like to say. Um, as one word, you can find me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, and on Tumblr. Uh, if you look for me on YouTube, you'll have to look for Zenith Films, or one word, because someone had already nicked Zenith Films before I could get there. <laughs> and uh, that's basically it, yeah. If you just look for, if you type into Google Zenith Films, one word, I am pretty much the top 10 hits on, the, on Google's first page. So it's pretty easy to find me if you're looking for me. Yeah, and, and, you'll, and you'll know it's me because the the logo is a uh, like a an Art Deco type tower block with a reflection of black and white. You'll know it's me. Ah, uh, what I can also do, Gareth, too, is I can put some links to your um, pages or website and stuff. Into the description oh yeah, of sorry, the, I do have a website, don't I? I always forget I've got a website. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the website was actually donated to me. Oh wow! Uh, I, I, yeah, a good friend of mine is uh, is paying for the website currently, and uh, yeah. So if you're looking for me, my website is zenafilms.net. And there you have it, folks. Stay connected because um, there's you also have a Facebook group now too. Yeah, I have a group page, but the reason for that is because. Facebook is getting more and more difficult to use unless you're willing to pay. And um, uh, they've got this whole reach thing where they basically will cripple your post unless you pay some money to them yeah. to allow it to get to, to go out. And so to try and combat that, I start because currently you don't have to pay to post in Facebook groups. I mean, you don't have to pay to post in a fan page, but if you don't pay your post won't get seen by everybody that's liked your page. Or more, you know? so, yeah. Yeah. 
And yeah. so, uh, but with with a group, you you know, when you post, people are in your group will see that post. And again, the Facebook group is Zenith Films. Yep. Uh, one word too, correct? Yeah, it's always one word. The reason for that is there is a well, there was a Zenith film, um, but they actually own the the dot com. But their page has been dead for years. They haven't they haven't done anything in about a decade. But I still can't get the dot com off them unless I give them some some silly some silly money, yep. and they're not going to get it because I've got the dot net now. So that's fine. Um, yep. So yeah, if you search for Zenith Films, one word you'll always find me if you search for two you'll find someone else as well now uh for for those that um have trouble spelling how do you spell your um uh, well that would be uh z or z e n i t h f i l m s and there you go folks and as always uh you can find the podcast everywhere um social media facebook twitter instagram um, we do have a Facebook page. We do have a Facebook page. We do have a Facebook, Facebook group, group that if you're interested in joining to talk with a lot of people, you can somewhat. Um, it'll be fun to kind of meet some of the horror fans um, that may listen to this as well. Um, otherwise, go join uh, the Silent Hill Zenith Films uh, group and... We'll be seeing you there as well. And, and we also have Podbeam. We're also on Podbeam. Yes, and, you, and for those that may audience. have been listening to this on YouTube or something, you can find us at everythinghorror.podbeam.com. And um, I think that's pretty much about it. Oh, and iTunes, yes. You can just subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, iTunes will pretty much tell you right away that we are not clean lyrics. We are fucking parental advisory. So if you don't fucking I like don't. it, I don't care. And if you like this review, or in a review, wow, interview, interview <laughs> please drop a like and comment. And maybe Garris can come back in the future for his other future films and stuff. Because we definitely... Had a blast with him, and he is more than welcome to come back on. Right, to absolutely, absolutely, the, I'd love to. And I'm glad to hear that, Gareth. Um, and if you would like to, Gareth, you can find me and Tessa on Facebook. If you would like to keep in contact as well, um, if you would like to consider us friends and stuff. <laughs> if not, I don't take any offense. <laughs> I mean, it's okay. But if you would like to, to stay in touch, that's fine too. And, yeah, um, I, will, I will definitely search for you in there, for sure. Yeah, um, the only thing with us, or for me, I don't know about Tessa, um, my my privacy settings is you can message me, but you can't add me as a friend. But if you message me and say, hey, it's me, I'll know who you are, and I can send you one from there. So Yeah, cool. But, um, Garrus, um, so as we end this episode we usually have everybody that we interview or even our friend that help make an episode together on the count of three we usually say stay scary okay so if you want to say that with us on the count of three and i'll let you start off the countdown gareth three two one stay Stay scary. scary